Consequence Podcast Network. The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams. I'm Lara Unterstall. And I'm Mike Snoonian. And we have a brand new theme for the month of October. We are talking about PTSD today. And we're... Tis the season. I I mean, it kind of is, you know. (laughs) Um, Not only the greatest season of all time, but um, a season that fits with trauma. Um, And we're pairing it with one of my favorite movies. And I am so excited. We are talking about 2005's The Descent. I love this movie. I do too. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to have a lot of happy feelings when we get to our feelings check. Um, So let's talk about what our first experience with this movie was. Um, Mike, when was the first time you saw this movie? So I get a really good experience seeing this movie. Um, It would have been like right when it hit in American theaters, a bunch of us were really excited for us. We had this like, not really a mini club basically of horror movie loving friends like where every sunday night they would come to my place we would like throw a couple movies on the projector and hang out and they're like friends that i made uh you know made then and and have kept to this day um so we went to a little theater in cambridge that was showing it It was like the only one around and like we were not disappointed by this movie like it delivered the goods so i think that it's the last movie that genuinely scared me until maybe paranormal activity Mm. like the strangers came close and then like the second half kind of petered out Mm -hmm. for me but this movie absolutely is like you know pack an extra pair of boxer shorts it's, <laughs> yes it is you definitely need it yeah the, the scares hold up i mean i was mm-hmm. i was surprised by because it, it had been i mean god only knows how many years since i'd seen it last and it really i i literally like screamed yeah <laughs> at one point. i shut off all my lights i did the whole thing because i wanted to enjoy it you know mm-hmm. and uh man really still packs a punch yeah yeah i definitely re-watching it last night for the show had moments where i was cringing uh like the the we'll get into it but yeah there were moments where i was like still like flinching and covering my eyes and like doing that thing where your whole body contracts because mm. you're like yeah. um you know it did that yeah this might be one of the few movies that like i would tell ada who i let watch a lot um like we're doing a drive a, a drive-in at a haunted house for the thing in american world in london this coming week this is probably one of the few movies I'd be like, no, I think you should wait a few mm-hmm. years before you see it. Yeah. 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 Well, Laura, when yeah. was the first time you saw this? Well, in an emerging theme that I am extremely worried about, I have no memory of when I first saw this. Um, I'm I'm getting like, I, I'm realizing as because we ask this question every week and then I'm like, oh shit, I have no clue <laughs> mm. when the hell I saw this. I just know, you know, when you start getting really into horror, you watch 
you try to get your hands on every damn movie that you can. And I'm sure it was in one of those like three movie weekends. And I do know I loved it. And it scared the hell out of me. I'm extremely claustrophobic. Like spelunking is absolutely number one on the list of things I will never do. Mm-hmm. And if anyone tries to make me, I will <laughs> fight them. I will hurt them. Mm. Um, every time in this movie, they approach a new hole. Because there's like several holes mm-hmm. that they go to. I would just like, nope. No. Um, so, Don't go so, in that yeah. hole. <laughs> yeah. Hell no. Hell fucking no and it really does hold up i i have some thoughts later on that but i mean it yeah yeah that's 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 my story and i'm sticking to it (laughs) um i do remember this because i kind of fall into that same category where a lot i just saw a lot of horror and a lot of it i just rented and watched at home so i don't have these strong memories but this is one that i do and my friend sarah um told me she had seen this movie in the theater and i hadn't heard of it she's like oh it's the descent you'll love it let's go see it so we went to see it and she wanted to see it again um and it was amazing i remember there were not many people in the theater um but i remember especially like the first jump scare where it's like she's looking in the the window mm. um i remember screaming out loud in the theater and like okay this is going to be good i'm excited for this yeah um so that was a really good moment for me. And this is one that I I go back to a lot because I love it. This is in my, I, I would say this is probably my second favorite horror movie of all time. And I, I I have a hard time playing favorites with my top five, but I think this is probably number two for me. Um, um, yeah, I hate picking favorites. I get very I know. internally. <laughs> I know, <laughs> because a lot of times yeah. it depends on the date. Now, I usually can find a number one favorite, but... Um, I go with the number one and then the top five, and then it just depends Mm -hmm. on the day. Um, Yes. Well, so we are going to um, skip the um, official synopsis of this movie, and I think we're kind of finding that we're just having fun writing our own synopsi. Um, Yes. So we're just going to go with that, and Laura has written a delightful synopsis of this movie. So, Laura, take it away, (laughs) please. (laughs) An effervescent delight. All right. (laughs) Okay. So one year after losing her husband and daughter in a horrific car accident, Sarah joins her group of closest gal pals for a splunking adventure in the North Carolina wilderness. The expedition is led by Juno, a preposterously fit and energetic (laughs) asshole who is secretly having an affair with Sarah's husband. Although Sarah pretends that she's emotionally prepared for this trip, it's clear to the viewers that she is mired in trauma and grief. She has nightmares about the violent death of her daughter and is visibly haunted. Only her friend Beth seems aware of how she's really feeling. Unbeknownst to the friends, Juno leads the group into an off-the-grid cave that's never been explored. As they descend further and further into the cave system, and claustrophobic viewers grow steadily more nauseous, we begin (laughs) to sense something isn't right. Yep, definitely that's me. Uh, A sudden collapse traps the group, preventing them from turning back. Things only get worse from here. Horrific leg breaks and rope burn are just the start. It turns out there are humanoid, blind, cannibalistic, monster, chud-type things living down here. ruh <laughs> they, I'm so sorry. No. Uh, they, <laughs> they, pick the, they, they pick off the women one by one, though the ladies put up an impressive fight, especially Juno and Sarah, who proved to be very tough and resilient. Juno mortally wounds Beth after mistaking her for a cave creature and leaves her for dead. Sarah learns this when she comes upon Beth in her final moments, and here's what happened. She also finds Juno's hideous feather <laughs> necklace in Beth's hand and sees that it's inscribed with her husband's favorite platitude. Looks like those two were pretty close. Mega bummer! <laughs> well, 
Sarah has had enough of this shit, and she is getting out of this fucking cave. <laughs> At the last moment, she encounters Juno, wounds her, and leaves her for dead, scrambling up a hill of bones to freedom as Juno is devoured by about 8,000 damn cave monsters. <laughs> Sarah does indeed get out, breaking free from the earth in an iconic image, finding their car, and driving off. But will she ever really be okay? As the final images of the film suggest, probably not. <laughs> okay, I'm done. I love that. That was great. <laughs> I thought that was... Perfect. I know. <laughs> Thank <Ruh> you guys. <laughs> <laughs> this is like my internal monologue while watching the movie. Right. Um, well, and we should probably say too. I'm not sure what version you guys taught watched, um, but I'm pretty sure I watched I, the American version. I I didn't know there were multiple versions until after I watched it, and then I was reading about the movie, and then I was like, "What the hell? I don't know what version I watched. Mm. Like, I I have no idea." Oh, so how did yours end? So mine ended with the uh, ending that Neil Marshall intended and the one that played, because if we don't do this, somebody on Twitter, it'll be a guy. Yeah. So the um, ending that played everywhere else in the world, basically after you have that jump scare at the end, the movie continues. And what you have is um, Sarah is still in the cave and she's hallucinating that she's with her daughter celebrating their birthday and it pans out and you just see how large this cave is and that she's nowhere close to freedom with the implication being sarah's trapped down there forever oh hell no i watched the yeah. damn fucking american version i watched <laughs> yeah. the, the bullshit version. yeah that pisses and, and, me off. and that ending is in both versions it's just that in everywhere else in the world it continued after that moment. Yeah, and it's just yeah. a minute. I think they just cut out about 60 yeah. seconds, but it does change the ending. It makes a mm -hmm. huge difference. Well, and it I does. know that there's a sequel that kind of continues from the version that where that doesn't happen. Right, right? yeah. You know, so and that's kind of that's... an issue with the sequel because it has to be a sequel to the American version, you know? Right. It's like when yeah. Dr. Sleep was coming out, we were kept talking about, okay, is it a sequel to the book or the movie? Because they end in different places. Um, yeah, I've got... Uh, I don't think I've ever... It, by the way, I still haven't seen Dr. Oh Sleep. Oh my God, so it's amazing. It? It's both. I, I still I I haven't it. seen it either. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's both. I mean, okay. he does such a fantastic job of weaving those two stories together. It's amazing. I could talk for five hours about that. Um, no, six hours. Um, <laughs> and we will have... Oh. Seven. Seven hours, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I honestly probably could. Um, we, we're we probably going to have a lot of thoughts about the ending, and we are going to talk about that, but I just wanted to make sure we mentioned that in the synopsis because yeah. you're right, Mike. Someone would I, correct us. I, I was going to bring that up, and I forgot about it. I'm actually pretty upset. I don't think I've ever seen the, the full version then because I've only ever seen it with the the, uh, the abbreviated ending then, uh, you know, which is really bizarre to me. And I think that's the only version I've ever seen, but I did – you can find the – extended version on youtube and i think i just looked mm. up that minute mm -hmm. but there's also an alternate fan theory that i that we can talk about a little later too that i got mixed up with the original ending and it kind of or the because it was all just theoretical and i'd never seen it um so i i've got a lot of mixed feelings about the ending of this but we'll get there um yeah so let's do our feelings check for this and this is how we feel when we watch this movie um and you know mike do you want to start Sure. So I am super glad that when I watch this movie, I watch it in the little um, theater I put together in the basement. Like we have an unfinished basement and I've cornered off a section of it with blackout curtains oh, awesome. and yada yada. 
um, because the dryer is nearby. Because I definitely need to change the pants after <laughs> I watch this, you know. Um, no, I love this movie, and I think that even if it didn't have like the cave dwelling chuds in it, it would still be a terrifying movie. Yep, hundred um, percent. You know, and I, it's like I was I I go back and forth. Like, is it claustrophobia? Is it clytherophobia? Which is like this fear of not being able to escape mm. or get out. Like it's not about the size of the, maybe it's both. I think um, I have both now that you mentioned yeah. it. <laughs> um, I definitely do too. Like I have a thing about like really tight spaces, like the, one of the local haunt attractions that are nearby, they always do a thing like you can get buried alive, like get nope. in this coffin. <laughs> nope. nope. Won't be, won't be giving not... you my money for that. No. no. That like those like those extreme haunted houses yeah. where they like trap you in a cage while some guy like spits in your face or what I cannot stand that shit. Yeah. I hate just like, get away from no, me. Thank you. I could do that, but the coffin thing I could not do. <laughs> coffin is where right. you draw the that? line. We all we yeah. all have our limits. That's true. Yeah. That that Ryan Reynolds movie where he's buried Ooh. alive, like mm-hmm. won't watch it. Won't watch yeah. it. Um so you know, like the scene in particular where especially like when Holly is first going through like that passageway on her like basically Ugh. elbowing her way through mm-hmm. um i literally feel me. nauseous during yeah. that sequence <laughs> yeah. it, it gets me every single time so and like i said like this movie is legitimately terrifying mm-hmm. um and it's so well acted i mean it's just like you really like buy the relationship so there are very few like to me perfect horror movies i would say like american werewolf in london the thing and i would put this as blair witch project scream and i would put this like right in in that list as well as like an example of like a perfect or near perfect movie like absolutely adore this i think so too yeah yeah um yeah i as you guys are talking about it i don't know for me if it's the claustrophobia that i feel because i don't really think i'm necessarily claustrophobic and sometimes i kind of like the feeling of being enclosed i think it just depends on what i'm enclosed with and i think when I think about the cave, I think of how gross it is. And like, there's probably bugs and there's probably like some kind of like whatever that dripping stuff was like, I don't want to know. And I think that's the thing that gets me is, and maybe that's just not having control of what I'm enclosed in. Um, but it just, there's no way I would ever go spelunking. And I remember we went to mammoth cave, which is a cave that's kind of around the area where this um, movie was, is set. Um, Mm -hmm. and, we like just took sleeping bags and spent the night there with like my class. And I mean, I was like, okay, bugs, but it didn't really bother me that much. But like the tight, gross, goopy stuff really Mm -hmm. freaks me out. Um, But I love, love this movie so much. It has some of my favorite imagery in horror. And if you follow me on social media, you've probably seen me post that picture of Sarah screaming with like just covered in blood and like this primal Mm -hmm. scream. And that tends to be like whenever I feel like I really want to say things that I can't say or that I want to say, but I probably would regret it later. Like I tend to post that image. Um, (laughs) And then there's the image of her climbing up the wall of bones and then like breaking through that are just some of my favorites and I tend to post those a lot just as kind of like shorthand like the day that I finally left my last job I posted her breaking through (laughs) the grass the ground because it's like ah and like the week leading up I think had been posting that bones picture um it just nice (laughs) I love it so much and I love that there are so many complex female characters in this movie yeah Um, that really sets it apart it really does does. yeah Mm -hmm. and um 
originally, I think it was going to be a mixed cast, and Neil Marshall made the choice to cast only women in the roles, and I think it was a really, really smart choice. And I love, like, no, there's not one role. Like, it's not like a, a this is what the woman does, or these what the women do because they're just human beings in this movie you know right. yeah when when you don't have other genders you know on this when you have one they just all have to become the you know many permutations of people you know yeah. it's it's really it's really rare to see that there's so many movies that are all dudes mm-hmm. that you don't even think about it as much as i love the thing it's like you just don't even think about it right but when you see all it's like you're like, oh, I don't see this a lot. And it's really refreshing. It is. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And there's no, because they are doing some really awesome and really difficult, like, climbing in this. Yeah. But there's never the, oh, my God, she's so strong. It's just like, this is just what they do. You know, they're just. Yeah, right. they're a bunch of adventurous women, you know. Right, yeah. Like, they're all just super capable. Exactly, yeah. And it's not really commented on. It's just that's the norm, you know. And right. I think mm-hmm. that's and rare, you know. There's something refreshing about watching a movie where like everyone is capable like there's not a weak link mm-hmm. in that trio overall and, and that um sextuplet i guess uh, overall, <laughs> i'm not like, even sure how many there are yeah. i think it's um, six i think you're right yeah so i mean it's like there's not like there's not this fake tension about like well one of the people is scared of the dark it's like well, then why are they let us spelunking trip you know mm-hmm. yeah um like a lesser movie i think would would do that. right have the one person that they had to like like really be taken care of yes coddle Mm -hmm. that's the word and even the people that get injured like sometimes like i forget that the person has i can't remember who it is has that hand injury because she just continues to go on with her life in the cave you know i know that that hand injury is like i think that bothers me more than the leg break just that like and it's just like when they show her hand oh the the practical effects in this movie are really great they are what's awesome when, when holly breaks her leg Mm-hmm. she's like lying at the bottom of that cave and she's so nonchalant about it mm-hmm. she's like i think i hurt my leg like she's not screaming she's not making like there's no there's no like tissue like i think i hurt my yeah. leg it's not until she sees it sticking out through the pants that she actually has a reaction but mm-hmm. like that's fucking badass i'm yeah, sorry right. like that is oh, yeah yeah, it's almost more like an annoyance of like, okay, well, fuck, how am I going to get out of this cave now? Not mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, my leg, which is what I would be mm-hmm. doing. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, They're all a lot tougher than me. I know that much. They are. <laughs> yeah. Laura, how do you feel when you watch it? Yeah. Um, scared. <laughs> claustrophobic. <laughs> I, I do feel like both sad and empowered at the same time, mm-hmm. which makes, makes you know, I'm, I'm worried for Sarah because I know it's like, oh, like she's going through so much. Like maybe you shouldn't be doing this. Like, you know, uh, and I'm, I want her to live, you know, mm-hmm. so which really makes, and I want her to, to, to escape. So the, the interesting thing with that ending, I don't know. I just feel like I haven't fully absorbed what that means yet. You know, yeah. um, I also took a few notes while watching just to kind of encapsulate my thoughts. And I I would say, one, this movie has all the literary conflicts, specifically woman versus nature, woman versus self, woman versus woman, and woman versus ancient, blind, unspeakable, gooey cave monster. Mm, Nice. Um, That's one that often doesn't get checked off, you know? I I know, you know, but so this movie has it all. Nice. (laughs) Uh, I I, I do want to note that I think the pacing in this movie, which is, and a lot of it comes down to the editing, is extremely good. Mm -hmm. And and just thinking about the scares, I... I noticed for the first time while watching this, the sound design is ex- is like excellent mm-hmm. in this movie. The the jump scares I think are effective and don't feel cheap because they're done by amplifying natural sound. There are no 
hits, you know, like in movies where they're like, you know, and like there's some kind of off, you know, like diegetic, whatever they call it, sound, you know. Um, And these are always in these like silence moments when she's looking out the window and she has the dream of the thing coming through the window or when they're in the silence of the cave. It's like the bats coming out, Mm -hmm. you know, it's all just amplified. Um, So it's really excellent. And I think for a movie from 2005, I've been watching a lot of movies from right around that time. Like I watched two movies from 2007 in the last two weeks. And this one feels remarkably contemporary still. Mm -hmm. Um, There are just a few things that date it, which is the lack of smartphones, um, the little digital hand cameras and Holly's entire look. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So those are pretty. But other than that, I feel like it feels extremely timeless. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I just think it's such a great movie. It really holds up. It really does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think the the biggest and I'm going to try to lead us into why did we choose this for this episode but one of the biggest feelings that I feel when I watch this is just like catharsis you know um Mm -hmm. and it's um I was watching it last night and it didn't really scare me and I don't know if it's because I've just seen it so many times um or that just like those feelings of empowerment um of empowerment have started to kind of overshadow how scared it is for me like because when I think about like it that doesn't really scare me anymore because I just think what I connect to is the only thing I'm really seeing in this moment. So like, I wasn't really seeing the cave monsters. I was seeing that moment when Sarah was like getting herself through the cave, you know, and that's just one of, it it made me cry a couple of times last night, which is, I really needed a good cry. Um, and this Mm -hmm. movie usually will deliver that for me. Um, but so why did we choose this for our episode on PTSD? Yeah, I mean, to me, I thought it was a good fit. It's one of those movies that does, you know, one of the main things that sticks out in my memory about it is Sarah's journey Mm -hmm. and the fact that she had just undergone this massive trauma and how that impacts her life and also her friend group because there's all these kind of complex things happening, you know, both preceding the trauma and then as a result of the trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's not something you see in a lot of horror movies either. It's just kind of that subtle exploration of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was why this was one of the first movies to leap into my head when I thought PTSD. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a really good fit. Um, Mike, do you have any thoughts about why we chose this one? Yeah. You know, I was putting, I looked at it as an exploration of like trauma unfolding. And there are definitely like, some of the signs of PTSD exhibited in the film. Um, And we'll talk about those when we kind of like get to maybe more of the meat of the movie. But like when I was watching it again, I was more taking like the framework of like watching severe trauma unfold Mm -hmm. and what would be like the after effects of something like this, because this to me, like the ending of this movie is I think the closest thing to like the ending of toby hooper's the texas chainsaw massacre Mm -hmm. yeah in terms of like where a character is going to be like where her what her mindset is going to be once everything is said and done Mm -hmm. um so i felt like you know and definitely um there are like some of the indicators of like post-traumatic stress disorder which makes sense but given just like the first five minutes of the movie Mm -hmm. um but then watching like, and I thought there's a really clear breaking point for Sarah in this movie that we'll talk about later on, like one event in particular that like 
if there was a before and after, it's like this is the clear point, I thought, mm-hmm. in the movie. I have an yes. idea of what I think that is, and I'm wondering if I'm thinking of what <laughs> you're thinking. Same. No. I'm having the same mm-hmm. moment myself. All right, so stay tuned because we're going to check back in mm-hmm. and see if we were um, uh, If we're correct. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, okay, so let's talk a little bit about PTSD, which stands for Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. Um, so, Mike, can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Sure. So it falls under like trauma and stressor related disorders. And then it can apply to anyone that's like six years or older that's been exposed to a traumatic event, such as a life threatening experience, the threat of death, a natural disaster like a hurricane flood or the awful wildfires that are going on on the West Coast right now, Mm -hmm. Um, man made disasters, a serious injury, or sexual assault. the exposure to it can be, it can mean multiple things. It can be direct exposure, meaning that you actually gave witness to this or you were the person that was threatened. Um, it could be witnessing it happen to somebody else, meaning if a ch- child sees one parent assault the other, a lot of times they'll develop these symptoms um, very easily. Um, it could be learning about the traumatic event that happened to a close friend or a loved one. Um, And also people that are repeatedly exposed to trauma run the risk for PTSD. So think about people that work in like first responder fields, EMT workers, and of course, like, and I think we'll tackle this in a future episode, um, combat veterans Mm. run a very high risk. you know, back in the 70s, they would have called it being shell-shocked. So soldiers coming home from Vietnam and having such a difficult time adjusting to normal day-to-day life. Um, so combat veterans often will, um, when they're comfortable, speak in depth about how difficult it is to kind of return to civilian life after some of the things they've seen in the battlefield. So I see you have in these notes presence of some of these symptoms. Um, What exactly would it take to get a formal diagnosis? All right. So there's a number of different symptoms that you could happens when someone is traumatized. They might have these recurrent or involuntary distressing memories of the event or the events. Like they just, like what we would call, um, they just kind of invade them at inopportune moments when they're not, not prepared for it. There are, recurrent dreams that are related to the event so we see that in this movie where there are nightmares pertaining to uh, the death of sarah's family that are very specific to that Um, and there's what we call idiopathic and trauma related nightmares and an idiopathic nightmare is more you know the type of dream where you like go to school naked and haven't prepared for a test and that might pertain to something in your life but it's not necessarily trauma related and then there's like a trauma related nightmare which specifically harkens back to and deals with the specific traumatic events in your life that have occurred so if you lost your home in a fire you might have recurring dreams about that fire again and how it might play out of course differently in your dreams um what we would call flashbacks where it feels like the events are recurring again like it feels like you are there back in that moment or moments when the trauma occurred. Um, And then like what we would call like triggers. 
you know, the, obviously the phrase trigger warning uh, or content warning has become much more prevalent as persons try to be more sensitive to not harming, uh, inadvertently harming other people. So there might be intense distress cues over things that relate to the event. So like sounds be, like fire yeah. fireworks mm-hmm. and con, you know veteran memory you know PTSD is like the, the typical example you hear right yeah so. great example uh, sounds loud bangs quick things that, um, it could be triggered by a smell it could be triggered by like a song on the radio it could be really anything mm. that's just the fun of it you never know yeah. what's going <laughs> to set you off you know? yeah man that's yeah. one of the things mm-hmm. that I'm because kind of, I'm looking at this and I do have PTSD and I'm looking. And I'm trying to kind of relate everything you're saying to like how I function. And I think I don't necessarily know if I have flashbacks. I think it's the triggers that are the big things for me. Um, and it feels yeah. like the it, like it the feeling is the same, but I'm not like reliving. You know, if that I don't mm-hmm. know if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, because I have the same thing. My 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 PTSD was, you know, we, Mike, yours. Do you have it? Are you cool? I, uh, I no, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm one day. One day, maybe you'll be as cool maybe. as us. Um, but uh, for for I'm me, hoping. it's it's a high bar. It's never too. It's not. It's never too late. Um, but for me, it was the the recurrent memories. It's almost like getting trapped in a memory loop, like you're watching mm-hmm. it play on video. But I never felt like the full blown. Like I think I'm back in that room. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so I always found that distinction yeah. interesting because my understanding of PTSD before I really developed it was that you had to have these like full blown flashbacks, mm-hmm. but right. really it, that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. And we'll talk about it in the way it kind of manifests itself. And I think, you know, one thing too, is like, this will be an overview of, of PTSD, but we're going to be covering it with more depth in our next episode as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll probably go a little bit deeper. I would call this like the level one, um, overview of it and then we might kind of like dive a little more into the weeds of our next episode so yeah yay it's, yeah. <laughs> there's just so much to unpack and i will also say we are not really going to be dealing with the combat veterans aspect of ptsd not this time yeah around. we are no. going to come back to that and we've already got some plans for that um because i do think that's kind of a misconception about ptsd is that those are those are really the that's what it is and i think yeah. it's mm-hmm. so much more prevalent and i think a lot of people have elements of it that they don't understand or they don't realize it can just be cognitive distortions for Mm. some people like basically the walls that they've put up or the day-to-day coping coping mechanisms they've developed in order to kind of get through the day that have caused some distorted thinking which leads to feelings that probably wouldn't be there under different circumstances and like a less than optimal behavior. Mm. So a lot of times for some people, it's not flashbacks or nightmares. It's just this bad, this kind of like off kilter bag of coping skills that really do more harm than good, mm-hmm. but they allow the person to get through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's like when I think about me getting triggered and I actually got triggered about um, an a-, a couple hours ago. Um, but I don't think that's when the trigger happened. I think the trigger happened a couple of weeks ago or a couple of days ago, and it's just been kind of building and building and building. And then when I think about how I experienced that, like I think the trigger is a book that I'm reading right now um, that just set the stage and then my threshold level just keeps like lowering and lowering, lowering. And then something will happen, like a loud noise, and it just feels like 
it just the world is like crashing in on me and I think about the the moment in Stranger Things when like in season two when um, he's in the arcade and then all of a sudden it just flips and everything is like black and scary and he's in the upside down now and that's kind of how it feels for me when I'm triggered is that it's like it's still my house and everything looks the same but it just feels like there's a threat everywhere and I don't know where it's coming from and sometimes like if it gets really bad, like my vision will get a little bit blurry. Um, I'll kind of start to have like a panic attack. And that's like when my hand shaking comes, like when I can kind of start feeling it build. Um, and it doesn't happen to that extent very often. But that that's kind of how it feels to me. And it's not like I'm reliving anything in particular. It's just it just feels like I, I can't handle this. I need to go get under my blanket right now. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a physiological reaction. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely it becomes yeah, it manifests physically and it's it can creep up on you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. So okay, so Mike, with what I just told you, would the trigger be like there because I with the way I look at it, like there's two different types of triggers. There's like the the immediate trigger and then there's like the underlying trigger. Now, am I talking about that the right way? I don't think there's a wrong way to talk about it. You know what I mean? I don't think, I think it is, it kind of, I don't want to just use the phrase, it is what it is, but like, because there are so many different things that can act as like a reminder for um, the Mm events that there might be, there can be like physical sensations, like we said, sounds Mm -hmm. or um, smells or sights that can like trigger the event Mm -hmm. but yeah there can also be things that are more underlying so it might be a certain thought pops into your head Mm. overall that can like kind of bring you right back to that memory Mm. over it can bring you right back to that memory in that time and then like you said make it very difficult in the moment to function where you feel like basically your fight or flight response goes haywire at that point Mm -hmm. um fight flight or freeze and for a lot of folks like that's when they either flee or they freeze up. Mm. Like they just are unable to kind of make a decision or function in a good way yeah. at that point. Yeah. And, and I'll, I just also like, I'll say that I think that the difficulty in verbalizing, like, the, you know, the, the, it can be, it, the fact is, is that it's really complex and we've mm-hmm. been trained just through common perceptions of trauma and PTSD to think that it's like a one-to-one thing Mm -hmm. that like, you know, and for a lot of people who experience a discrete trauma, like a house fire or something like, you know, there would be very clear triggers, but when you experience something that is more complex or that occurs over a long period Mm -hmm. of time, those triggers become a little more diffuse and it becomes a little bit more of like how you lived your life over an extended period of time. Um, Mm -hmm. or, you know, for me, I had a discrete event that I think pushed me into PTSD territory, but that was built on top of a lifetime of anxiety, Mm -hmm. depression, bullying, all sorts of things that left me already a little, uh, probably more prone to developing PTSD. So it can, it's just so complex. And Mm -hmm. like Mike said, there's no wrong way to talk Mm -hmm. about it. Um, because, because it's just really not such a black and white issue. And that I think of it as like underlying inflammation, almost like for me, I have a lot of allergies. So like (laughs) I have this constant low lying allergic inflammation and then Mm -hmm. like it pollen season hits. Right. And then suddenly I'm like sneezing left and right. It's not just the pollen that I'm allergic Mm -hmm. to. If I could bring down all those other inflammatory markers, you know, I might be less sneezy that day. 
day, but that's that, yeah. uh, you know, and, and emotions are a lot like this, mm-hmm. that you can have so much yeah. going on and then it can just, something can just push you over the top. Yeah. 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 And that tends to be what, like touch a lot of times is a big one for me. Um, and I've, Corey and I have always had a no tickle rule because I just do not respond <laughs> yeah. well to mm-hmm. that. Um, but I'll find like my, my response for a long time was just to like throw an elbow, you know, which would mm-hmm. be like, is that fight? That's like the fight response, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say, um, yeah. Yeah. Throwing elbows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kicking, Sometimes you punching. just. <laughs> and it's so yeah, funny. So... Like I'll be because one of the things we're doing in therapy is like working on ways to help me like prepare for like a, a, a touch, you know, and so that I don't like throw an elbow. And it's funny, like I'll have to work my mind through it. And I am visualizing myself like being touched on my arm and I just like punch him in the face in my mind. <laughs> It's so funny. Like even my mind has that reaction. It's like, okay, this is how we handle this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I vibe with that. I like to throw. That was my always my finishing move when I did martial arts. Mm-hmm. Is you know you do punch, 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 elbow, and then if somebody's behind you, boom. Yeah, yeah that was, nice. I, I love throwing. I love throwing an elbow. I always think of the, it's like the cafeteria scene in Cobra. Kai. Oh my god! Yes, yes. yes. Uh, I love the fighting in that show so much. It makes me want to do. As soon as this pandemic is over, I'm going back to martial arts because mm-hmm. I miss it so badly. I want to do it too. Yeah, and that, yeah. that might be something we talk about a little later because that's been one of my yeah. Coping. I'm happy ha- happy to to give any kind of martial arts related advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah about throwing elbows <laughs> laura's yeah, elbow yeah. corner <laughs> yeah yeah we'll have an elbow corner of the podcast nice. <laughs> i like it some of the other ways you've seen it i've seen it manifest like you will see like avoidance mm, yep. becomes a really big thing for <laughs> some of those like so they'll do their best to avoid memories and like really like talk about repressed memories they'll do anything they can to avoid memories of the event or events themselves or any external reminders of the events that might bring up those memories. Mm. So you might see someone that like won't walk down a dark alley or under lights or go in an elevator for any reason Mm -hmm. whatsoever. Or um, I know that like I worked with some persons that if they went out to eat, they could only sit in a certain so they could have to see so much of the room. Yeah. Don't have your back to a door. Exactly. Um, their mood or their thoughts are altered in like really negative ways as well. So they might have like these really exaggerated negative beliefs about oneself and thought distortions that um, about the cause of the events that are like put you in a persistent negative emotional state. So you're always in a state of anger or sadness, fear, horror, or some combination therein. Um, there's a lot of self-blame that might go on there <laughs> yep. could be a detachment from others and an inability to experience positive feelings like love or satisfaction or a feeling of self-accomplishment or self-worth it's basically a lot of thought distortions that center around like this happened to me because i am bad because i'm not worthy um this was my fault that this occurred once again, um, I have no idea what you're talking oh, no. about. This has never happened of to me. Of course not. <laughs> no, so, me neither. <laughs> um, yeah. Some examples I've seen, um, and I'm going to do my best to avoid like specifics here, okay. but I've seen people that have like been abused by a parent from the time they were like young children to young adults, and they'll talk about horrific abuse they suffered. But then in the next breath say, but they always put food on the table. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I actually stopped a person in the session, I think last week, because they were very upset about something that a person had done to them and then immediately started to apologize for that person. And I stopped them and said, I'm going to stop you. You need to stop. And they were like, what? I'm like, every time you express this, I'm going to point out a pattern. Every time you express displeasure with a person or someone that has upset you, you immediately apologize for their behavior or make an excuse for it or say something about them to kind of like justify it and i want you to sit with your anger right now and sit with being upset at what this person has done to you and we're going to continue to explore where this comes from because it comes from an event that happened to them when they were young mm -hmm. um but i had to stop them because i'm like no we're not going to do that you're going to be, allow yourself to be upset or angry with a person who is wrong you like it's okay to do that mm -hmm um i do that so that was interesting yeah it took me um, a long time to stop no. doing that because i mean not because of mm -hmm. any kind of severe mm -hmm. um abuse but just because no. of i mean the my own family mm -hmm. dynamics and stuff like i had to no. learn to be able to be angry yeah like, yeah. yeah it's yeah it's mm -hmm. just a weird thing mine comes from my first husband and he um painted my classroom one year and that was always what I would say I was like yeah he's terrible he did this this mm -hmm. this this and yeah that still hurts but he painted yeah. my classroom so why should I be mad at him you know and I think mm -hmm. it's that way of like a way of turning your emotions off like I was I was listening to you say like having a hard time experiencing the positive emotions and when I think about that it's because like this hurts so much I don't know how to process it so I just am mm -hmm. not going to feel anything and that's yeah. when and I talked about this a little bit in the invisible man episode but that's why like I don't trust like happiness sometimes or like mm -hmm. compliments are really hard for me to hear um because I just it I've just turned all of that off and so having to turn it back on is really hard. Like, like what Laura, what you're saying, like allowing myself to be angry about something feels really scary a lot of times, you know, cause you just have to, I feel like I had to bury that so long to just keep going, you know? And when you open the door to positive things that you open the door to having to process all the negative things, exactly. you know, cause it's so much easier to just feel nothing. Yeah. And it's, and that is, that's very brave to, to be able to face that. And it's all like a, a lifetimes of work. It is. You know? Yeah. I'm talking yeah. about this. Like I, I'm kind of looking at the door to some of these things and I have not quite, because like the fear for me is that if I start to like unleash that anger, that it'll just like take over. And that like the image I see is from the movie sunshine when they're just falling into the sun and I'm like I'm just not going to be able to control it it's going to overwhelm me so I just I keep that door closed you know mm -hmm. and we'll probably yep. talk about that a little more when we talk about treatment but um sure yeah yeah so yeah and we've seen things like they'll go into an almost disassociative state or make disassociative disassociative statements mm -hmm. um I've seen like persons kind of cocoon themselves where their room becomes their safe place mm -hmm. where nothing bad can ever happen to them so they find it very difficult to leave their room um they might say things like i can't possibly eat in a restaurant because i'm not able to sit in a chair for more than five minutes or my back will hurt mm. and if you point out well you've been sitting in a chair for like 45 minutes talking to me because you feel like this is a safe comfortable place now they still 
couldn't make that association. It's like, no, it's a physical thing. Mm -hmm. Nothing bad has ever happened to me. Um, there's again, the self blame and then avoiding media that could trigger them. Like you might find, nope, I won't watch this movie or this show or listen to this music or watch this kind of, or look at this kind of art mm -hmm. because it can be triggering to the trauma that I've experienced. But there's also, we talk, we talk about treatment, um, how in particular, like horror movies can help a lot of people that have suffered trauma to kind of process and normalize it. Yeah. Um, my therapist has specifically recommended I do not watch The Handmaid's Tale, and I have listened to that. <laughs> yeah, just, just like, not worth yeah, it. No, not, like maybe someday. Not, yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things we've been talking about a lot is um, managing my triggers, and that's the phrase that she used, and that's kind of given me some um, a little bit of empowerment over it because, um, I was talking to my daughter about this tonight too. It's like, you can't avoid all triggers. Like it's just, unless you just live in that cocoon forever, like things are going to trigger you and you can try to, so it's just about like managing them. But I think a lot of times identifying those triggers is harder, especially when it's like more of a complex situation. Like I've got a trigger right now and I'm still trying to figure out what it is. And I know like about what it is, but I, it's just trying to name that. And once I have been able to name other ones, like when I named the calendar trigger that I have about like my fear of like making plans sometimes, um, that like took a lot of the power out of it. But sometimes it's just, I know that this happens, um, after a specific kind of event, but I'm not exactly sure what it is or where it comes mm -hmm. from. So there's a lot of different treatments that one can do for, trauma and you know i think trauma is also another form you know of like extreme anxiety mm -hmm. so there's cognitive behavior therapy um here is like the struggle that i have as a counselor like working with trauma um it's sometimes it's deter not just determining what is the cause of the trauma and how does that trauma manifest itself but what is the degree to which that trauma negatively impacts their ability to function on a day-to-day -day basis. And what I mean by that is like some people, excuse me, are so impacted by their trauma that they cannot function at all. Mm -hmm. They can't hold a job. They can't leave their home. They just, the things they can't do before we can even like dive into the trauma itself, we need to get them to a baseline of like thinking of some new day-to-day -day thinking, mm -hmm. some new ways of looking at decision-making and seeing the world around them. And then that takes some time it takes building rapport and building trust and and establishing like a safe environment mm -hmm. for the person coming in to see you um and then from there like okay now that we're at this level now we can dive into the trauma so it becomes a question of like do we tackle the trauma head on or do we have to like get some new executive functioning skills before we can really get into that? Mm, yeah. um, I know with like children in particular, like I've had to do more kind of like social, emotional and executive functioning changes mm -hmm. before we could dive and like, great, now that we've been here a year and, you know, you can now behave in a way that is like safe and what we want to see now we're a bit more comfortable to kind of dive into some of the causes of that overall so mm. um that's yeah. one of the difficulties yeah. um 
what I, you know, did a little bit of look, you know, what I want to talk about tonight was more what's called exposure therapy. Mm. Um, and what's interesting about exposure therapy is it's not done as much as one would assume mm -hmm. uh, with this. It's proven to be very effective, but a lot of counselors and therapists feel not ambivalent, but a little bit nervous about using this kind of treatment because they worry that it could re-traumatize mm -hmm. a person. Yeah, and... it seems like a lot to put on. You really need to be confident in that form mm -hmm. of treatment before approaching yeah. it. Yeah. And have a solid foundation with your mm -hmm. therapist, too. Right. With exposure therapy, is there specific certification that you need to get? Like when I, I think I discussed EMDR on yeah. the Invisible Man episode. So if you're interested in that, you can go back and listen yeah. to, my, to my personal experience with that. But I know for that, it is very process oriented and you need to have certification. So is that true for exposure It's not, therapy? no, because it's more, I would say it falls under the umbrella of like um, cognitive therapy, like it falls under that general umbrella. So there's not necessarily like any extra certification that you kind of need. It's something that you should definitely workshop and mm -hmm. practice and really be careful of before. Like you wouldn't dive like headlong into yeah. it. Um, but the process behind it is like you basically with the client, like you and your client review their triggers together. Um, and you can go a couple of different ways. There's like graded exposure versus flooding. Mm. I would call like graded exposure, like think of like a staircase. And on the bottom step is the thing that, le it's a trigger, but it's like your least worrisome trigger. Mm. And then once that's handled, you take the next step up. And that one, again, a little bit more so. And then you figure that trigger out and work through it. Then you go to your next one. So you're eventually, you're essentially making your way up the stairs. And then there's flooding, which is basically giving you all of them, if not at once, um, that within a really short amount of time. And you're basically like almost overloading the person at that point and allowing them to kind of deal with it oh, can i ask what the benefit of flooding would be because that maybe that's just me not <laughs> being horrible. ready for yeah. it <laughs> like, oh my god don't do yeah. that yeah what does that look like right. and what I is am, the benefit of it so i am much more of a graded person mm. <laughs> um if so the benefit of it is it's like a shock to the system mm. i mean think of like the scene in pulp fiction where uma thurman gets the needle to the heart mm. basically mm -hmm. with adrenaline okay just imagine all of your all the things you've been avoiding are just jammed up in that needle mm -hmm. and now it's being jammed through your breastbone and now you have to deal with it. Mm. And it's been one of those things where like people that are able to do it um, say that it's really effective. Really? Interesting. I guess you maybe have to be at such a, a place in your life where you're like, like fuck mm -hmm. it like yeah. i am i'm going yeah. i'm going toward those cave creatures mm -hmm. like i'm over this i'm over hiding like you know yeah. i think you have to probably be at a really extreme place to yeah. to want to do something like that yeah. um i can also hmm. see like one of the things my therapist has talked about um is how sometimes i feel like i build my triggers up in my head and like they become more powerful than they're ac they actually yeah. would be so i guess maybe that would be a time mm -hmm. to say no here it is it's not as scary as you think and like maybe and I I think it would depend on what the trigger is too. Like yeah. if like working up to it gradually is going to just make it more powerful, right. you know, because it's, you know, and one of the things with as a counselor is like, and it, this is a struggle for me because I'm a relatively new counselor is like, it can be really hard 
to work at the pace your client is ready to work at. <laughs> um, you know, and what I mean by that is like, I had to learn early on that I can't work harder than the person. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're just not ready to go there. And you have to, at that point, adapt what you do and meet them at their level. Um, and it's still okay to challenge them, but you need to be cognizant of what they are willing and able to do. And it's not about me. It's about that person and kind of meeting them at their level and then seeing where they are and checking in and then when they're comfortable and when they're ready, kind of moving forward mm -hmm. with them. Um, the idea with this, basically the whole idea of this exposure is what you're doing, like after you review that trigger, you want to review, like, here's what the trigger is. Here are the thoughts that that trigger leads to. Those thoughts lead to feelings like the sadness, the fear, the anger, the frustration. And then what behaviors follow those feelings? Mm. So the idea is to develop new ways of thinking that lead to a different way of feeling that leads to a new behavior makes sense is that kind of yeah mm -hmm. that's where it falls under that kind of cognitive behavioral mm -hmm. therapy type of of um treatment modality and there's in vivo and imaginary forms of this so in vivo is basically exposing the person to the thing that they're afraid of so if you're really afraid of tarantulas <laughs> they might put tarantulas on you no. like that's the <laughs> example or it feels um, very like early 2000s reality tv right. it does yeah you know, that episode it's of top like model room, what is it like room 101 in 1984 mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. um it is yeah i mean but fear factor there's you know there's psychology behind yeah. it um but for some it might be um walking like my wife hates escalators really and it might be like making them ride the escalator until they're no longer afraid of it mm -hmm. if someone is afraid of heights it might be like you're going to ride the elevator in the empire state building mm -hmm. until like you're no longer vomiting yeah um, interesting obviously you can't do that for all sorts of um trauma <laughs> yeah. trauma like you're not going to drop like uh you know, someone who has had like battle experience, like back into a war zone. Yeah, guess what we're doing today? Right. Right. Getting so, the chopper. Yeah. But there can be like, uh, you know, kind of like written exercises mm -hmm. or guided imagery that works a person through it. Mm -hmm. And you see, like, all right, where is your anxiety at at the start of this exercise? It's at a like seven. Great. You know, seven, we can function. So if we go above that, the goal is to get to a seven or below at that point. Well, that's an arbitrary number I threw out there. Mm -hmm. um, but the idea is to see, like, what their baseline is. And then if they start to escalate, how do we get it so they can um, bring it back down? And sometimes it can be something really funky, like, let's say a symptom of your trauma is your heart starts racing. Mm -hmm. You might do something with them to kind of induce that feeling hmm. that's not trauma related so i might say like jen i want you to run in place for two minutes go <laughs> you know and then at the end of it it's like your heart would be beating similar to like if you were experiencing that and it kind of normalizes hmm. it at that point and that would be more um, like kind of the the physical feeling of the trigger rather yeah. than like the mental mm -hmm. yeah and that's one thing that i have yeah. noticed is there's a book called the body keeps the score that i always come Loved back to this book yeah i actually mm -hmm. have not read it but i have 
talked, I've heard a lot about it um, because mm-hmm. I'm a little afraid to read it. Um, yeah. But I've only read part of it, I, also because I can't currently locate mm-hmm. it, which pisses me off. Because I've been thinking about, mm-hmm. I wanted to go back and reread it because we've been talking about all this stuff, yeah. and I can't find no. it. I think anyway. there's an audiobook version of it. Um, but I just think so much of mine, like it's not connecting to my brain, and like I'm looking at that first, um, what you were saying about reviewing the trigger, what thought it leads to, like even the mm-hmm. reviewing the trigger. That's still where I am right now, you know, and mm-hmm. like yeah. that's and th- I mean, that's OK. Like I went to my therapist and I thought I was going to be done in 10 weeks. And now it's like almost two years later, which is fantastic. Like I'm where I need to be and I'm going at the rate I need to go because some of the mm-hmm. triggers are really deep and really complex and really hard to understand. Um, but it's just and it's connecting my brain to it. Like if I can kind of wrap my head around this thing it feel it like takes the power away but that's just hard because it's scary it's scary like there's a reason that those things trigger you and looking at it sometimes is like is the trigger you know so Mm -hmm. yeah and sometimes it is one by one processing those memories Mm -hmm. so i've done that where there is like severe trauma that's complex because it has occurred for so long over a number of different times, a number of different examples. So kind of one by one, you talk, you use more talk therapy to kind of talk through, this is what happened. This is how I felt. This is how it affected me. Mm -hmm. This is how it affects me to this day. Um, Because you could see like with persons like this thing that happened to me 15 years ago still impacts me to this day. And this is the way it, this is how it does that. Mm-hmm. So we kind of work through that yeah. kind of one by one. Um, for that book, The Body Keeps the Score, uh, the audio book is available on script. Oh, really? So I know I've brought that up before. I keep meaning so. to sign I keep up meaning for that. To... <laughs> we just said that. As I know. Cause... I'll send you a link to get three months to it. And then yes, Scribbit can please, sponsor us. Please, please, um, yes. Please sponsor us. Yeah. Give us yeah. money. Um, and speaking of, of being flooded with imagery and things that trigger you, why don't you talk about a little bit about this article? I'm curious. I'm, I'm really interested mm. in reading. Yeah, this, too. this was an article on Vice from uh, Kate Davis Jones called How Horror Movies Helped Me Get Over, Helped, helped Me Get Over My PTSD. Mm. And she and talked we, about. We can link the, to this. Yeah, yeah there's a, I have a link here in my notes. Um, but basically she talks about how she lost her home in a fire when she was home on break from college like it was a weird electricity strike that happened like she was literally typing on her computer and she felt a jolt she's like oh that's really weird and then two minutes later her mom came yelling to like oh my god the house is on fire and it burned down Uh, and for a long time like she tried like therapy didn't help talking about it with friends didn't help like nothing was helping her out and what she started to do was like watch all of these horror movies where like things burning was a common theme in these movies and what happened over time is like it and we've talked about this before i think in our debut episode we talked about how often horror movies can help with trauma because you get to be in control of Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. like if something triggers you in a movie you can pause it you can get up out of your seat you can fast forward through that part you can rewind it and replay it over and over again until it's no longer scary for you. The important thing that it's like you're in control of it. And not only that, it can help you understand that you're not alone in this. Um, When Jerry and I talked about Halloween 2018, um, 
and this is maybe a spoiler for an announcement later, um, <laughs> we talked about how trauma just doesn't care about you. Like, Michael Myers and Blumhouse's Halloween didn't care two shits about who Laurie Strode was. She was just in his way. Mm-hmm. And she had built him up to this mythical level for 40 years, and then he doesn't even recognize her. Mm-hmm. Um, so we... We personalize our trauma to such an extent that we think that it only belongs to us and to a certain level like what happens to us does but we can understand through horror and art that it trauma happens to so many people and that we're not alone and don't have to suffer alone through it mm. mm-hmm. does that make sense i don't mean to no it not I a, saw, yeah, no jen it... i saw your face kind of go like a little like what are you talking about there with oh no no i was <laughs> thinking about that i was like oh it's, my trauma do- it doesn't care about me and i've been thinking about like trying to kind of name it you know because i've like maybe bill is what i'll name it to kind of personal mm-hmm. depersonalize it you know uh, but i was yeah. looking at this quote and i've kind of tried to avoid mm-hmm. reading it because i'm afraid it's gonna make me cry sure. <laughs> so this is from the article this is a really nice piece of writing which is why i thought it really worked so um so from miss jones it's horror gave me back my normalcy in the movies i saw my tragedy depicted constantly reverently in all sorts of different forms I saw animals predicting death and destruction, alerting their owners something terrible was on the horizon, like my cat's inexplicable death two hours before the lightning strike. I saw fires as points of exciting narrative climax, moments of terrible understanding, and stories of rebirth. Midsummer. Talk therapy. (laughs) Talk therapy didn't really help. Horror forms were my form of self-treatment, a kind of exposure therapy. The memories of my house fire became less singular and terrifying. The tragedy lost its power. It's like driving again after being in a bad car accident. The best way to get over the fear from the accident is to get back in the car. It's harder for me to get to the root of my fear. There isn't a surplus of flaming houses. Well, (laughs) spoke too soon. 2020. (laughs) So horror films allow me to relive and realize that the story ends. Life goes on. I couldn't find support for my pain, but in horror, I found respect for the thing that caused it and evidence that it isn't the end of the world. And that is close enough. That's awesome writing. I know. I love that. And I will definitely link this in our show notes and in the write up for this episode. Um, because and that, I want to read the whole article now. Yeah, mm. and, and that really makes me think of the ending of um, The First Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, the mm-hmm. fact that she, when she is able to name Freddy as what he is, it takes away his power. And that's why the double twist ending really pisses me off. Because, it, you know, it, mm. uh, it undermines the point that it's making, which I think is a really poetic point and one that is really spiritually true, as evidenced by that piece of writing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and things that we've all experienced. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah great, great, great find. I, yeah, that really kind of touched me. And I think about this, like, because my PTSD, there's not really one thing. And it was over, like, the course of about three years um, of continuous events. Um, so... I really connect to the descent 
and it's not that I'm connecting to going into a cave. That's not what happened to me. Um, but it's the feeling and like the, the fear that I feel in her and that like overcoming it and like the strength that I see. And it's like, that's what I see. And I say that to say, you don't necessarily have to see exactly what happened to you on a screen to be able to still kind of have that feeling of just exposing it a lot. I think I'm just Mm -hmm. a really empathetic person. And so a lot of times it's just connecting to the emotion that the character is feeling is what kind of helps me kind of push through. And you see somebody mm-hmm. else push push through and get out. And it's like, oh, okay, this is po- this is an option for me too, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that's what art, like, really can do and why I do think horror movies are art because, like, it can take you on, if that can take you on that, like, literal, like, journey through hell, like, and, and rebirth, you know, that, that, that true hero's journey, like, that's... That's really something, yeah. you know, and if it can really and I think this movie is just so visceral that, it, you know, what's literally happening happening is more can function symbolically. And I think horror does that really, really well. Yeah. Well, and so maybe that's a good transition into um, we're talking about this specifically in the descent. And before we get there, I want to say this is not our last thing we're ever going to say about PTSD. We know we've kind of just like grazed the surface and we are going to talk a lot more about this in our next episode. But we, you know, we've got two episodes on it and we don't want to overload. Um, so we don't want to flood. We don't yeah. want to flood. What a- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, we want to talk about this great movie. So. Yes, because it's so amazing. Um, and when you really look at it, like I, I think going down into a cave is just the perfect metaphor for like what kind of dealing with this kind of trauma is. Um, and we didn't talk too much about this earlier, but like a lot of mine is like buried and I don't want to think about it. So I just like repress. And I think when I think about going down into the cave, it's almost like going down into myself and like actually looking at things and like going down into the scary place that I'm afraid to admit to. Um, and so I think this is just such a fantastic metaphor for this without trying to be a metaphor like I sometimes you watch movies and it's like oh they want me to feel this way they want they want yeah. they're trying to manipulate this response and I just feel like it's the strength of the story in this movie and the strength of the characters that brings this out without me because you could watch this and have no connection to PTSD at all and still just be really scared you know yeah, yeah, it's 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 not heavy-handed. It's not like uh too art housey or going like, you know, it didn't seem to have like a pretentious intent. Yeah. It, it just feels it's like it functions as well as just a fun ass horror movie as it does as like an exploration of trauma mm-hmm. and that's, you know, yeah. again, what, yeah. what 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 quote-unquote genre films can do really well. Yeah, I I wasn't in any way thinking about PTSD or trauma like when I first saw this in 2005. Like, I just saw, like, a scary-as-fuck horror movie. Well, okay, so let's talk about some of the issues and how we see them represented. And so it starts with this event, and that would be the trauma when she has this car accident that kills her Ooh. husband and her daughter, which for this movie, I think, has ruined me for watching people drive in movies or television mm. like i always <laughs> no, it's like uh, i always want to yell thing is gonna watch come. the road <laughs> i know well, what's, i yeah <laughs> go what's ahead interesting Mike. about the way this one plays out too usually you don't get any warning mm-hmm. this one you get about a good three seconds where you see their car veering and this car coming and you know you almost can prepare yourself mm-hmm. for what's even though it is really shocking yeah and the other thing I noticed like on this rewatch is like how Sarah's question distracted her husband. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that, um, that struck out at me, and then the, the guilt she must live with mm-hmm. thinking about that, like how you know, because he he's. But even though it's not her fault, she was of asking course. a very normal question. It was his fault for being distracted. Right. Um. But but yeah, you really see how those right. beat for beat plays out, and then yeah. you can just imagine reliving that over and over and over. And it's that would Awful. be that thought distortion that plays into trauma. Mm-hmm. Like if I didn't ask him this question, he would still be here today. Not that he. You know, he should have been able to answer the question and still pay attention to the room. Yeah, Does that makes right. sense. Or yeah. that, right. like, that didn't really factor, and that the power of me asking a question does not cause this event. You know, of course. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's that kind of magical thinking that can come with trauma. That like, that's just like cursed thinking. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. oh, gosh, right. I mean, I can't imagine trying to live with this, and I think it's so like it's so extreme but we don't really see very much of it you know but it's stuck with me yeah and i mean the the suggestion of that of those like rods or whatever it is that comes from the truck and hits comes through the window how that recurs in her nightmares Mm -hmm. and what Mm -hmm. a power powerful image that is i think that that maybe one of the best scares is that moment in the movie where she is dreaming about um, her daughter Mm -hmm. and that sort of haunting image of her blowing out the candles. And then she approaches the window and the rod comes through the window. And I think like we talked earlier about um, dreams being a symptom of PTSD and we see that play out here. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and something I'd like to talk about before we, we get into the actual cave stuff Mm -hmm. of the movie is, um, the and something I haven't really thought about a lot before this is uh, how trauma impacts social groups mm-hmm. and these friends. When so when when Sarah, it's like a year later, and she decides to go on this trip, and then she walks into the cabin where all her gal pals are hanging out, and it's clear to me, you know, it's very clear that this people don't know how to treat her. Mm-hmm. They are kind of walking on eggshells around her, um, and they're not totally sure what to say. And you can tell some of them think she's too fragile, and others are trying to be like just going to ignore this and pretend nothing happened Mm -hmm. so what are some good ways to maybe approach someone who has been recently or not recently traumatized I think like how can you be a supportive friend that's something I'd like to discuss because it's you see it really play out in some extreme ways in this movie Um, Mm -hmm. so it's something I'm just kind of curious about and you I mean I don't want to put this totally on your shoulders Mike but if you have any thoughts about it and if you don't have any prepared thoughts on that like maybe that's totally turning this one back around are you kidding me this is like yeah. I, you just call me Croc Dial Dundee because I am boomeranging <laughs> this one right back to you right uh, now. Oh, shit. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's something like, because I have had, even though I have personal experience with this, um, I mean, obviously I want, you don't want people to treat you differently, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like you you don't, but you, you I, I think about this moment like, so again, I, I've discussed this before. My specific traumatic incident was watching my dad die in this very awful way in the hospital. And like, I kind of think about like the first time I went and hung out with some of my friends again after that happened and they didn't really know all the details. They just knew that like my dad had died and that I was there. And um, I remember they were like, hey, mm-hmm. Laura, like how's it going, you know? <laughs> and, it, and it took me a while that night before I like kind of, they, they, they wanted to know and like I could tell they wanted to know. So I felt like I had to tell them what happened and um and again it's like I don't even know how I want people to treat me like it it, it, I think it's kind of a two-way street like something has changed and but you don't but ultimately yeah you just want to be like hey if you want to talk about it I'm here to listen but Mm -hmm. don't feel pressure don't put pressure on the person to be like 
what happened to you? You know, um, yeah. there was, I was just, I watched the movie Paris, Texas over the weekend, which I have some very complex feelings about it. But the main character at the beginning of that movie, you don't really know what happened to him, just that something terrible has happened. And he seems really lost. And the brother character is like yelling at him, like, tell me what happened. And, you know, you don't want that. Um, but you also, you just, I just want to be treated like a person, right? Man. Like you just want to be like friends, you know? And, and again, so I'm, I'm curious about the, the therapeutic perspective of what is, I think the important thing, I think there's a difference between like the, the therapeutic perspective and what we're talking about is more just like the day-to-day, like social yeah. aspect of it overall. Mm-hmm. And I think like, it's important to kind of, because like my goal as a therapist would be different than my goal as a friend. Yes. Does it make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, Ab- like absolutely. it's definitely different hats there. Yeah. Um, Two very I, different hats. Both right. look great on you. <laughs> they do. I, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so um, I would say that like no one is owed an explanation mm. for the details of your trauma. Yeah. Like you don't have to relitigate it for anyone that you don't want to. Is that so like if a friend is like, well, what happened? Tell me what happened to you. Help me understand. It's like only if you want to. Mm-hmm. And yeah. no one should be forced to do that. Like and I think yeah. we see this happen on like social media a lot, like especially with say the Me Too movement, where if a person says like, I'm a victim of an assault or abuse it's immediately litigated mm-hmm. online. Yeah. And it's and almost they... like, if you don't tell me the details, I don't believe you. Right. It's right. Like, you know, that's the implication mm-hmm. and which right. is really shitty. And you would never do that to somebody in your personal life. So why are we doing it to people right. on social media? Mm-hmm. Like the, 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 the Kavanaugh trial thing. Ugh. I mean, it's still just like, mm-hmm. I will freaking, I want to like tear my own skin off every time I think about it because she was so brave in in what she did and Mm -hmm. you know it goes back to like the Anita Hill hearings and how she was treated you know and and it's 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 something we really need to reckon with Mm -hmm. Um, it really is yeah yeah -hmm. Yeah. so because like it's not a court of law you know right your friendship should not you know you're not on your friends or your loved ones shouldn't be putting you on trial and um, I want to state that my friends never did that, but I felt a pressure within myself right. to want to tell them, you know, or mm-hmm. like I felt like I should because I wanted them to understand where I was coming from. Mm-hmm. But I still struggle with that in my head of like how yeah. much should I be sharing and how much should I be keeping to myself? And I never know. And that's that's part of the traumatic experience is like you just don't know how to what to do with it. Right. So you yeah. just sometimes explosively tell people about it and then you're like, oh, I overshared and that made it weird. And, then, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like and- it's it's a hard line to walk. You know, and it's hard because, like, I'll say, like, when I do this show, I find, because I do this and I do the pod on the pendulum, I'm much looser on the pod on the pendulum. <laughs> so for listeners that, like, because a number of listeners have, like, also discovered that show through this one. And, like, it's a much different side of my personality, which, um, you know, like, it's different. And mm-hmm. here, I think because of, like, the subject matter we cover and because, like, Without yeah, we, knowing the we've detail. We've put you in therapist corner. We have, yeah. yeah. You know, but like, <laughs> Sorry. Like, I, I don't necessarily know, like, the details of what has happened to Jen or Lara, <laughs> but I know that something has, or I know a little bit about it. So I try to be much more sensitive to that and, like, word myself and, you know, not, like, censor myself, but maybe be, like, a little bit more cognizant that, like, I could say something that could be triggering or problematic, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, like, you know, what you see in the dissent with this friend group is, like, there's almost, like, whispers behind the scene, yeah. and Sarah is treated like something 
that is like very fragile. Fra- fragile. Fra- <laughs> oh, fragile. I like it. It's a ma- magical <laughs> rock. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, she's like fragile and could break at any given moment. Yeah. When the reality is like treat her like one of the gang, but maybe kind of monitor things you say. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like yeah, I might yeah. not bring up certain topics. Like when the I... woman says something about wanting to have a lot of babies, you see this look on Sarah's face where right. it was like, oops, like maybe. And I, you know, when you're hanging out with people and everybody's drinking, like mm-hmm. if there's a likelihood that somebody might accidentally right. step in something. But, right. you know, right. obvi- obviously she's ultimately okay. You yeah. know, she, I think the whole, this her whole journey in this movie is showing that she's a lot stronger than you would think because she's the mm-hmm. only damn one of the group who survives right. or does she mm-hmm. i don't know right. you know she but does in my movie <laughs> in my movie she survives yeah. for sure well and i think yeah. like the thing that i would say about that is because i've heard a lot of different versions of this and i know i felt like a spectrum of ways about when i want to talk about things because part of me does want to talk about it and part of me doesn't and i don't want people to like look at me different and there's always that fear yeah. of like will will any conversation ever exist again without this thing in the room you know so that's always exactly the fear. but I think like if you want to be a supportive friend just you have to approach it as it's not about you and it's not about you getting it right or wrong it's about yeah. the person that you're trying to be a friend to because it's hard to say what the right thing to say is and I think it's going to be different for every person and for every situation because there are some times when I wish my friends had asked about it and sometimes when I wish they hadn't and it's just you really kind of have to just go in with the goal of being supportive and just kind of read the room and don't get defensive if the person says that oh I don't if, if the person if your friend gets upset just be there to support them and don't get upset yeah. like don't it's not the end of the world exactly. like you haven't ruined the friendship like right mistakes will be made exactly we're gonna get through and this. just say yeah. hey I'm sorry I didn't mean to upset you or like let's talk about this later um I will say one of the the things that does kind of bug me sometimes is when I've been triggered when someone asks me what's wrong that gets under my skin and I know the intention is always great but like it in my head it's like oh you're wrong I see that you're wrong why are you wrong you know that's the way Mm -hmm. that I hear that um and I don't know what the right thing is or like maybe just let me know if you want to talk or I see that you're yeah yeah that's exactly it I think like that's a really good way to put it like looks like something's on your mind right now or something's kind of disturbed you I don't know what it is if you want to talk I'm here otherwise you know give you some space something like that and then actually give the space too like don't come back you sure you haven't changed (laughs) your mind yeah yeah yeah. just one of the things i see people get i hate to say get wrong but (laughs) one of the things i see people get wrong a lot is like they feel like they need to be assured if they got it wrong yes so like you've like you have inadvertently hurt this person or re-traumatized them in some way and it could be like a minor thing that they're able to get over and move past. But it all of a sudden, it doesn't become about this thing that you did that hurt them. It becomes about you needing reassurance yes. that what you did mm-hmm. isn't this awful thing. And it's like, fuck, man, I'm not there to, you know, coddle you at that point. Right. So, yeah. Because yeah. like um, when, um, what's her name with the spiky hair? Um, when she said Holly. Holly, when she says the thing about babies, she didn't do anything wrong. There was nothing wrong right. with saying those words. You just 
kind of go with it now and you say, oh, I'm sorry, you know, and that's where like a friend like Beth, who I think is really in tune with Sarah and kind mm-hmm. of like watchful in a way that doesn't really feel condescending to me. Yeah. Step Beth in. is definitely the there's like a range of friendship in this movie and it ranges from Beth to Juno. Right. <laughs> in terms of yeah. Being a good to a bad friend. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, Beth yeah. is in love with Sarah. Right. And we can <gasps> say that. Is, is she? I never oh, I never read that. it that way. Oh, yeah. But I mean, I could I could see I could see that. But I never did read it that way. I just read mm-hmm. her as being the only friend in the group that actually mm-hmm. was that was actually Sarah's friend that really was yeah. there for her and understood yeah. her. Yeah. Um, you know, because I think in friend groups, you definitely have ranges of people you're close with. Yeah. And like, I, I feel I, I always like a gay read, you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm down for, for it. it. Uh, uh, but it, whether that's you know uh, a platonic love or a a, a, a mm-hmm. sexual a sexual <laughs> love. Sorry, I'll um, stop saying that. <laughs> a a another love. another lesser <laughs> trauma in this movie too occurs Sorry. before the accident when um, Beth and Juno share a look mm-hmm. where yes Sarah is like occupied with her daughter Jessica yeah and Beth Ju- knows yeah yeah she knows. Beth. Beth knows and Juno knows that Beth knows. And there's a little bit of trauma that goes on there because now Beth is kind of forced to kind of carry this secret with her. Yeah, and it's um, not fair to have that be on her shoulders, but it just right. ends up there, yeah. you know, because yeah. of their and, behavior. Yeah. And Juno knows that, like, she runs the risk, a greater risk of exposure mm-hmm. at that point, and that she's put her friend in a really terrible position an awkward Mm -hmm. position and you know juno is the first one to kind of bail when um sarah's at the hospital she's like i just couldn't and she's like well we all lost something that day and it's like that's juno makes it about herself and in a way that i find very offensive and it's like have some respect you know right it's a really weird thing to say to somebody when like you're not immediately involved it's a very it's a telling statement knowing what you do about the relationship but my god that's selfish yeah yeah juno is such a i mean she's an interesting character in a lot of ways i i I like i don't like the character but i like that they do this with the character Mm -hmm. because again we're showing some really um complex characters but my god she upsets me and pisses me off over the course (laughs) of this you're just like you fucking asshole and like yeah (laughs) and that's okay i mean it's okay to have complex characters yeah angry you and and yeah, I think it's good writing. Too. It's good writing because yeah. it's true to life. But yeah, I mean, she w- could win the award for one of cinema's worst friends. Right. You know, mm-hmm. for but sure. It doesn't yeah. feel like a caricature of just a bitch, you know, like she yeah, exactly. developed. Like when I think about Juno and Beth, I think Beth is just really, really empathetic. And she says at one point she's a teacher. And I think she just lends more to like this caretaking role. And I think Juno is just we're going to talk about Juno later on. But I think she just is not. She is not an empathetic person, um, and she's very yeah. much more self-absorbed. And so I think, you know, maybe it was the right choice for her to leave because if she had stayed, how much more damage would she have caused, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think I do like Juno every t- more every time I watch this, but I have so many complex feelings. And I think a lot of it is just because she exists as a character in this movie as a counterpoint in so many ways, and I love the dynamic that she brings. Also, she's really cool, and I think, like, I don't know if I want to be friends with her, but, like, she can put her she, leg up in the air like that. And she might be I exhausting know. to be around. Oh, oh she... I, she makes me feel immensely insecure and I realize that's like my own issues. Mm. Like I'm not, 
I'm I'm super. I've always had trouble with like athletics, and I've I've worked really hard on it, but I will never be able to do that with my <laughs> legs. And so, like, I see somebody like that, and I'm like, everything just comes so easily mm-hmm. to you, right. doesn't it, Juno? And like, she's exhausted. Yeah, like she said, she's exhausting. She's up before everyone. She's re- taking a jog on the day that they are going to go on a spelunking right. adventure. Yeah. It's like. Do you like what's wrong? You know, and I think Mike, you had some thoughts on that, but <laughs> yeah. but we can get into that. We'll get into that later when we talk about other issues in the film. Yeah. Um, one one yeah. of the things I love about this movie is the way that the different women tackle the cave. Mm-hmm. Meaning, like Holly mm-hmm. goes like gung ho head first into everything. I see it like uh, where it really stood out was like the zip line moment when mm-hmm. they had to kind of cross over. Like Holly just like goes across that thing in two seconds and doesn't um doesn't give it hesitate. a second thought doesn't hesitate and you see that play into her downfall when she doesn't really she's like oh there's light up ahead and she goes like sprinting into um basically off a cliff yeah um yeah. Mm-hmm. but each character tackles this problem in a slightly different manner and i thought that was like a really nice indicator of their personality without giving you a lot of exposition done. yeah yeah again really great writing it really you know, is it's, mm-hmm. a sh- it's a show don't tell a lesser movie like this would have mm-hmm. the characters like talk about it and she, you know like you said they would they would give you a bunch of yeah. exposition and it would be awful and condescending to the mm-hmm. viewer right. this it just is so naturally woven into the action that it's awesome yeah the moment that stands out for me there is the little sister who's the doctor and when they're looking at holly's leg and everybody's like oh that's gross and she's like no shut up we just need to deal with this this is not like mm-hmm. it's it's not a time. This is, don't, this is not the time. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's just, it's just a small moment, but it tells you so much about her character. And then mm-hmm. like her older sister, who's constantly like trying to compare things with the guidebook and is like, rule number one, rule number two, blah, 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 mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and she's constantly not infantile. You know, she's not infantilizing the younger sister, but she's definitely trying to play that big sister role mm-hmm. like the protector and the younger sister obviously doesn't need it right, right. yeah <laughs> yeah but it's not it doesn't seem like condescending and I think if you look at like Beth and Sarah it's kind of the same dynamic it's like mm-hmm. they are approaching it Sarah's approaching it like I'm leaning a little bit on my friends to guide me and Beth's kind of like looking out for Sarah and I just think it's it's so fascinating I hadn't thought about that until you brought it up but yeah each one of them and I'll link an article that said they each kind of represent a different way way of like relating or like friendship or an aspect mm-hmm. of Sarah and I don't know if I'm saying that right but I'll link the article um yeah that's a fun read I like I because you know it, you, when you get these ensemble movies everyone kind of falls into these archetypes and this is a, one of the rare ensemble movies where people don't feel like stock characters right. like they really especially in horror they really feel like fully fleshed out people that were just getting little keyhole glimpses of them and it and it just comes through so um effortlessly in this in this and it's really good yeah <laughs> you know I'm just constantly impressed by when you get good writing like that it's it's a, mm-hmm. an enjoyable treat it really is yeah um, and that's when you mm-hmm. can like dig a lot of the meaning out of it you know because it's mm-hmm. it, because it feels more real it doesn't feel like the movie is trying to force you down this road um, mm-hmm. Well, okay. So let's so are we, let's go down into the cave. <laughs> um, let's descend as it yes, were. <laughs> but not too fast because um, that, that's not the rules. We all know what happens. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And speaking of exhausting, gosh, could you imagine like going spelunking with Holly and Juno and just like how <laughs> insecure you would feel? I- 
I would have tripped it like the first like right. uh, like the first like down into the first hole, oh, yeah. or maybe I would have even gotten exhausted on the hike mm-hmm. to the hole and been like, guys, sorry, I sprained my ankle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I will say I do not ever want to go spelunking because gross, there's spiders down there. But I love hiking. That's probably one of my favorite yeah. outdoor activities. Yeah. White water rafting is really fun too. Mm-hmm. Oh hell no! <laughs> really. I like a kayak, a nice, gentle mm-hmm. kayak. Anything with rapids, get the fuck away from me. I am not advent- I'm not adventurous. Really? I'm just not. That's, like, not my thing. I like nature. I like walking, hikes, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. But, like, anything where there's a real threat of death, like, I'm not into it. I'm just, nope, yeah. no thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> yeah, the older <laughs> I get, the le- the more, like, risk-averse I am with those kinds of things. But I will say, like, the whitewater rafting sounds more enjoyable to me than, like, sailing on a placid, like, in a kayak. And Corey mm-hmm. and I have gone canoeing, and I had a very serious talk with him about how I will not think it's funny if you tip the canoe over and I fall in. I will lose my mind. Um, well, I can't even swim. I don't know how to swim. I oh, never really? really properly learned to swim. I don't know how to drive. I don't know how to swim. Swim. I didn't learn to bike until I was like 23 and got sick of being such a nerd that I like taught myself to bike in a parking lot. Like mm. I, um, I, I, uh, martial arts was like the most that I ever like got into any kind of, you know, and I did it again as an adult mm-hmm. because I, I was such a late bloomer that like, anyway, either you guys are learning a lot about me and how <laughs> much of a nerd I am. But oh, you're great. And I mean, because martial arts, that's a big deal and that's a really cool thing, you know? Um, I think it was it was very empowering for me because before that I was such I just had never done anything like that and I could like passing like my level one Krav Maga test mm-hmm. where I like fa- I like had to do like four hours of martial arts in a row that was like a turning point for me you know like I can do yeah. this like, <laughs> but I'm asthmatic I have flat feet this was I was not meant for this world mm-hmm. anyway Aww. let's go on talking about these fit amazing impressive women oh and they are but I am not so cool uh, but you're so amazing <laughs> in other ways um, thanks <laughs> so we've talked a little bit about this um, flashback trigger dream thing that she has when it like sh- when when she's looking in the window. And I guess what would that be called? What the, is that a dream? Because she's asleep when that happens, right? Yeah, I mean, I thought that was a nightmare. I really think that was like a classic nightmare where the the invade the element of the trauma was like invading the dream yeah. so i guess it could also be i like i wonder because the other flashback or trigger that we see is the birthday cake and that right. i guess doesn't mm-hmm. technically count as a flashback because it didn't actually happen that would be like an intrusive thought maybe yeah because the yeah. last thing that she was thinking of before her daughter that they were planning her birthday party mm-hmm. So, like, she keeps going back to those thoughts of planning the birthday party. Mm. This thing that will never actually happen because it's mm-hmm. been taken from her. Yeah, right. Which I can. And, and so that's like you you just whatever something reminds you of it or it's a moment of stress. And that's just what your brain flips to. You yeah. Know? Um, but we keep seeing that. Um, and it seems to be kind of a moment where she passes out a little bit or like she loses time. And I don't know if I'm saying that the right way. Um, could be dissociative, you know, a yeah. little bit like, yeah, a bit of just dis- she kind of yeah, d- disengages from reality. She for a disengages. Bit. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, and so then we're, we're down in the cave. And I do think it's notable that she is the first one to start hearing these things. And she because I think yeah. her perception She's- is much more like acute, you know. She's the hypervigilance is something I think we talked about in the Invisible Man episode. Mm-hmm. And I think we see a bit of that in Sarah here as well. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but are there a couple moments like right before she sees the 
first creature she thinks she hears her daughter's voice yes yeah because okay. i think it sounds it sounds very childlike it almost yeah. i think I, I think this time i thought it sounded like a child's laughter or like a that, child or playing or something money. yeah 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 and so it's it was really eerie i think mm-hmm. you know so that again little subtle things they do in this movie that really ugh, creep me the fuck out right and that's yeah. the kind of thing like do we think she's an unreliable narrator because i know that there is a fan theory that she actually mm. killed them all because she like snapped or whatever and i have a lot of strong feelings about that theory i don't really like I, it i don't like it it's... i hate that feeling. i hate yeah 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 one well, like theory. i feel like it's reductive like if i'm identifying with sarah like i'm not gonna snap and kill all of you you know like right. it's th- that's i feel like it's reductive and it's if i that would be like I, I, well, like in movies like this, there, like, there are some genre movies where it like turns out they were crazy all right, along, you know, yeah. and it was all a nightmare or something like that is bad writing. And this movie is good writing. Yeah. yeah. Therefore, no, go right. away. Someone, <laughs> someone posted something very similar recently, like about the Blair Witch Project, where like Josh and Mike lured Heather out to the woods and they actually killed her. Mm-hmm. And they're like, and I'm like, that would, um, that would kind of defeat the purpose, though, of them still missing three years later like mm-hmm. these two dudes you know i i don't like theories like that like they take what is not anywhere suggested or hinted at in the text of the film mm-hmm. and kind of put their own kind of crazy spin on it yeah yeah i mean if you want to write fan fiction like go for it but i don't think you should imply that that yeah. was like the intent of the film and it, you said uh jen it's like it's reductive yeah. it's just like like Mm-mm. And I feel like there are a couple of places where I do feel like that's kind of really powerful if the director is actually going for that. Like, I don't want to discount the, oh, they were the killer the whole time. Because I think when that's done right, that can be really scary. I think it's just she's so empowered in this movie and and mm-hmm. we're so with her and she goes on such an emotional journey that I don't want to, like, be afraid of her now, you know? Yeah. yeah. It- I want her to be the bad guy, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I don't like what she does to Juno yeah. know, necessarily at the end. I think that's mm-hmm. like, it, I, I feel like it's um, a step back. Um, not so much that I care about what happens to Juno, but like <laughs> it's a step back emotionally for her, you know. Right. But um, I feel like I interrupted you, Mike. You can go ahead. That's with okay. What you're like at some point, we I hope we tackle session nine mm. at some yeah. point. Um, that's an interesting movie. It's I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but at one point, the killer was going to be discovered to be like a homeless woman that like lived at the shelf that lived at the asylum that she had been a former patient um and like was staying at the asylum unbeknownst to anyone and she was going to be the one exposed as being the killer in that movie and then when they were editing it like the writer director brad anderson is like yeah that just doesn't work yeah like so that's what that theory kind of reminds me interesting Mm -hmm. um yeah, whenever possible, I prefer ambiguity to. Mm-hmm. It turned out it was this guy all right. along. Like I, right. I, I much, I, I am very, I love David Lynch, and mm-hmm. I think people try to do those kind of reads of his movies too, where they're like, "This is some kind of cipher mm-hmm. that I need to figure out." Versus these are an exploration of feelings, right? You know, yeah. um, or emotions. You know, so I think that I'm always prefer an ambiguous read or ambiguous events. I do too, and that the and part of the reason I do is because there is never going 
to be a metaphor that is going to perfectly fit. Like there's always mm-hmm. going to be an element that doesn't totally support what your theory is. And I'm saying this as somebody who does a lot of projecting of my emotions onto movies. And so I just kind of let go of some of the things that don't exactly fit into my theory. And I'm okay with that because like what you were saying, it's exploring a feeling. It's not saying this is, this is the movie that explains this for me. Like the, yeah, the, this is a literal thing that happens versus an exploration. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And that's what I, I think th- it gives you just enough. And I did read that there is a crawler at some point in the hospital, in the tunnel. And I don't know if I read that it was taken out or that we just don't really see it. But um, I think there there is enough to have that reading. I just don't like it. So, Oh, you mean you mean in the um, beginning of the yeah, movie yeah. when she's when she's when she wakes up from the car accident mm-hmm. and that sequence in the oh yeah I would hate that like these are these manif- like projections of her own demons or something right. like that yeah that's I don't like yeah because like let me say that as the viewer this is the per- the manifestation of my feelings of this movie don't say that upon don't like place that upon your character um, yeah and Neil Marshall did not so you know fans don't. Go Don't get yourself. <laughs> sorry, I, but then yeah, yeah. Sorry, I I always I'm a little bit of an angry person. So no, no, I know what <laughs> you I mean. Just, I'm like I like to um, fl- flip the bird. Mike can be the reasonable one. No, here. I'm yeah. right there with you on that. Theory, right? Yeah, thank you. Where team get fucked on that? Yeah, theory. man. <laughs> yeah, uh, we got to put that on a shirt. Team, <laughs> team get, get fucked. Yeah. Hey, speaking of merch, there to go. Yeah, that's an emergency. I mean, idea I right feel there. like that would sell pretty well in 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone wants to wear that shirt. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, okay. Well, so let's talk about like when the shit goes down is what I put on my um, um, outline and like there's a moment that I'm curious about Mike what you think the turning point is because there is a moment in this movie that is like kind of a turning point for me and I think now that I think about it I'm not sure if it's the same one so to me the turning point and I'm talking about specifically like Sarah's kind of like break yeah at this point it's the one-two punch of her having to bash her friend's head in after seeing her basically nearly eaten alive, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. having to like basically put her friend out of her misery or save her from a fate of like getting devoured. Mm-hmm. Um, that and then learning about Juno's treachery. Yeah, um, that's that's that I, I that is what I was thinking that yeah. you were going to say for what that moment mm-hmm. was, because it feels like that's really where she like you. She gets a kind of glint in her eye and is like, her, oh, hell no. Yeah, <laughs> her body language changes her posture changes. She's actually much calmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's like more focused. Um, she kind of becomes Robocop like yeah. a little bit. Like that's where she, you feel like she's like, Oh, she's a woman on a mission now. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly that. Exactly. So that was, that was the moment to me. And I, you know, like I said, I, there's a reading of this movie or there's a version of this movie where there are no monsters and it's just trapped in a cave. Mm-hmm. And that would be still like a really terrifying movie. I almost wish the first reveal of anything was the camcorder. Yeah, moment. that's the moment that made me scream because it's a, oh it's a little ch- cheesy, but like yeah. I, I kind of forgot about it because I haven't seen this movie in years. And I was like, ah! <laughs> like and I it's so perfectly framed. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like the it's like a, a photo bomb. Right. It's yeah. so great. It's just there like, hey, what's up? And, yeah. and one of the yeah. best reveals in horror, I think, because it's so unexpected and it's so creepy and you already feel like I'm in this cave. So it's not like like I would have seen this thing sneak up on me. It's just, mm-hmm. oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> every time it gets. Oh, I know. Yeah, I, got, I have I have goosebumps right Me now. Me too. And then he's <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. close behind her before they know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
but to me, that's the moment. Did you, was that, are we on the same page? Like, what, what do you both think oh, is yeah. the moment? That, that's for, definitely for, for Sarah's character. Like, her, like, that's the moment where she's like, okay, it's either, you could read it as a psychotic break, you could read it as um, just a, a point of no return emotionally, where she's mm-hmm. just like, I kind of becomes a little, she, I don't know how to say it. Like she just steals over. Yeah. Like, Cause you mm-hmm. have to, I mean, going through it's, it's a double trauma. Like mm-hmm. it's trauma within trauma within trauma. And it's, it's just so awful that she, a very sensitive person has to go through this. But I do think it also her character, unlike Juno, um, Juno, right? Yes. <laughs> unlike Juno, she, I just had a moment where I was like, wait, am I saying, have I been saying these names wrong the whole time? <laughs> um, anyway, no, yeah. Or unlike Juno, who's like a kind of tough, gritty person to begin with, Sarah is a little bit more sensitive and emotional. Mm-hmm. And it, when, but when you screw with someone, and I'm not that I'm speaking for myself <laughs> right now, when you screw someone over who's sensitive, Oh, forget about it. Yeah. Like, you are in for, you're in for a whooping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Once you open those floodgates. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, it's all, all hell is about to break <laughs> loose. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I think about the moment, because I think you're right, but I think I see it kind of as two stages because the moment that I was thinking about was the moment that she's trapped in the tunnel and she gets stuck. And maybe just yeah. because that is my one of my favorite scenes in all of horror. And I say that to myself all the time. I say, you're still here. Um, and it just like that's the moment that I cried a lot last night because she's stuck. And she's and then Beth goes back to get her and she says Mm. the worst thing that could happen to you has already happened and you're still here. And I know I just said it, but I'm saying it again because it just I've said that to myself so many times. And I think this is a moment where she under where she like her brain understands that and she says it. Um, And she actually doesn't say it, but she hears it. And I think the moment when she kills Beth is when she finally like understands it. You know, it's like this is the action that's attached to this because she is understanding. Yes, this isn't like nothing is going to happen. That's going to be worse than that for me. Mm -hmm. Although you could make an argument that like these monsters might be worse. But I think if you're looking at her state of mind like this is the worst thing that she probably could have ever imagined happening to her um and so she like she gets she gets through that tunnel with help but then when she sees beth it's like okay so this is another terrible thing but it's still not worse than this and i can get through this and then she does and that's when the steeliness takes over and that's when she is like she becomes robocop you know and she goes into that pit of blood you know yes like being confronted by chuds that want to eat your face like it's is <laughs> very bad yeah yeah it's um, not great it's not it's a good day definitely <laughs> definitely a monday you know definitely what happened on a monday. mondays right. um, yeah. you know? am um, i right <laughs> but i think like the the impact of like losing your child would trump that right I think yeah just a little bit yeah, yeah yeah it's yeah and I, and I think like because I agree I do think that's that's my biggest fear that's the worst thing I could imagine because you still continue to live with that and I say that as somebody yeah. who hasn't experienced it but like and I know we're talking about flashbacks but like I don't imagine my life in the cave just being happy and now there's this monster and I have to deal with that every day the way you would imagine your life with your child like you would imagine their 10th birthday you would imagine their 15th Mm -hmm. birthday Um, and it's just a different kind of trauma and pain and I you know I don't necessarily want to compare pain but um, yeah she it's like she has accepted when she kills Beth she's like okay 
I I can get through this. This is an awful thing. This is that might be second or third on your list of worst things you could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. But but she can get through it and she keeps going. Um, and I think it's interesting that she shifts into that action mode too. Um, and it's like here's the fear and now it's real because I think part of why I like whitewater rafting is that like adrenaline kind of takes over and I'm not stopping to look and wonder if there's like a shark in that water because I'm just going with it and I'm on the ride now you know um, because this is the moment where she becomes very action oriented and she goes um <laughs> she gets oh like I love when she goes into that pool of blood and she just emerges and it's almost like a baptism you know where she's she's mm-hmm. come up and she's a different person in that moment yeah. and she has like fully internalized that she can kind of power through this trauma I don't know if power through is the word I want to say um, but yeah I do think I I mean I really think that is a powerful symbol the like going down into the blood and coming up like soaked in blood and like you're fully Rambo you're fully Robocop right. like you're you know there, it is it's a, baptism is such a great way to think of it um she de- she definitely like she just switches into action mode there, there really is no other way to describe right it. Like, yeah and then yeah. and like so if we look at like her whole journey and like if you think about this as a descent not into a cave but like into herself like she is realizing I can confront this trauma I can identify this trigger and I can look at it and I can go down into the puddle full of blood and I can come back up and what I love is that she is different like she's not like what you see when Juno sees her a little later and she's almost scared of her it's like she's found Mm -hmm. this strength inside her that didn't exist before then you know and I think it's just such a cathartic moment like she's covered in blood she looks like so harsh and cold and I'm not necessarily saying that's a good thing I just think like I love the awareness that like you don't come out of that puddle of blood the same as the person that went into it you know yeah I think we talked in a different episode about um like Stephen King had this analogy or this metaphor for like a vase that shatters yes. and then along along the the cracks like they're like one way to look at it is those cracks are weak mm-hmm. but another way to look at it is like when you get scar tissue or something like it, it's actually much harder along those cracks and those cracks make you stronger and like she is she is battle hardened you know yes. she, and she is and she's gonna get out of that fucking cave mm-hmm. you know <laughs> like yeah. come hell or high water you know uh and it, it it's not necessarily like this is good for her but like she is strong and she is she, she proves to be stronger than juno and it's those that trauma that that mm-hmm. strengthens her yeah. you know um, yeah and yeah. that scream that she has it's one of my favorite moments i keep saying it's my favorite moment in all of our but it's like she's finally letting all of that pain and rage out and she's giving it a voice and it scares the other girls and I think like that's that it that's just like kind of a representation of talking about some of these things because like if I laid it all out on the table it would probably be pretty like you might be taken aback you know and I might it but it would probably feel really good to just kind of let it all out because there's a certain part of me that just buries everything um yeah sometimes I know mean, that just made me think of like I think sometimes you almost like you feel like the trauma makes you feel angry and you almost want to like inflict it on other people right a little oh bit, yeah you know you just want to like you know like so when, especially when somebody pisses you off or they don't get it or something you're like well motherfucker like what if I told you this is what happened right like you know and it's, it's like you do sort of have this like there's an anger that comes with trauma that you want to sometimes lash out at people yeah. and I feel like 
and sometimes that's bad, but sometimes it can be really good to like let it yeah. out, you know. And I think that's what we're seeing in that moment with Sarah is she's just letting it all, letting it yeah. rip, you know. <laughs> yeah, like, like yeah. when I think about that, like because there's a lot of that that's stored in me, and I do lash out um, sometimes before I can kind of control it. And I think when there's trauma, you can't. Especially like the kind of trauma that I had, I was not able to react to it in the moment. And so like there's a a particular thing, like if I had been like hit, I couldn't show that reaction, but that reaction still exists. I just had to bury it. And so like... Yeah, to displace it. Exactly. And so it's all like every time I had a reaction I couldn't express is still inside me. And some of it has come out and some of it is still there. And so I feel like Mm -hmm. when she... Like when that scream is her just kind of like unleashing it and just like letting it out. And that's part of what I'm talking about. The fear of like not being able to close the lid again if I start to like express all of that. Um, But that just that moment of giving a voice to everything because that's so Mm. powerful when you have like repressed so much, you know, and it just it's one of those. It's hard for me to find words for how much that image means to me, but I've used it to describe myself a lot of times. And that's why, you know, it's it's a powerful image because exactly. you know, it gives voice to the unspeakable. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's that's good shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like the way you said that. Well, OK, so let's let's talk about her as descending and then surviving. Yeah. No. And I, I think that that like like you said earlier, that image of her scrabbling up through the bones mm. and, and reaching the light is kind of like the completion of that thought. Like you it's the literal descent. It's the literal like, you know, um, coming out of the mouth of hell uh, and breaking through to the light of day I mean I feel like that's such a gratifying thing so thinking of that ending where that happens but then it's not true and she's actually still in the cave is really a bummer Mm -hmm. on some level as much as I don't like the idea of an American edited version like we couldn't handle the (laughs) like the Mm -hmm. the grim British British ending or something but I do think that that is is really gratifying for her character after going through this this hellscape you know you want to see her we're with her she's the protagonist we are on that traumatic journey with her Mm -hmm. and to see her emerge and get away is really really gratifying just like um like the Texas Chainsaw ending, which is also one of my favorite horror endings. Mm-hmm. You know, the, what I don't like about Texas Chainsaw is the sequel where it turns out she's in a mental institution mm-hmm. um, because I always liked that ending uh, and her as a final girl because she is like strong as hell. Like she, like at that one point in that movie where she literally like breaks through the glass window and then just takes off running, mm-hmm. you know, like this this chick is going to get away. Like, and I, I like final girls for that reason because it's like, no, like I am going to get through this uh-huh. and I'm going to fucking get away from you and I'm going to be fucking fine, asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I hate when the it's always in the sequel. They're always like, what happened to me was so bad that I just went crazy, right. you know, and, and I like that. I, I like the ending on that note of triumph, you mm-hmm. know, is, is really empowering. Yeah. You're going to hate me after this because um, <laughs> I've always interpreted the end of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre like Sarah's, I mean, Sally's physical body escaped, but her mind has been left in that home forever. Mm. Well, like that's, that, I mean, that literally is what happens in the sequel in Texas Chainsaw 2. Isn't she like in the mental ward? I, like the... I don't even remember. I honestly, yeah. God, I don't, because like going back and, and I used to love Texas Chainsaw 2. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I went back and rewatched it relatively short time ago and I'm like, there's not a lot that really goes on in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of a nothing burger of a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that f- 
and it's something that Hooper made because he's like, people didn't get the humor in the first movie, mm. um, which, <laughs> which I, I, yeah, I appreciate because there are some really funny bits. Mm. It's, it's definitely um, got like a really dark, but, warped sense of humor. And so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, that's why that movie is just, yeah. it's actually, despite how dark it is, it's still kind of fun to watch because yeah. of the, the levity. And I could go on a whole sidebar here about the making of that movie. That's a really fun oh, yeah. conversation, but <laughs> absolutely, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, um, I think I like an ending where the fucking so-called victim triumphs, yeah. you know, right. because that's like, that resonates with me. Uh, and that's why I like horror, yeah. you know, and and I, uh, it's... I think we often see that happen in horror and you're right. I think like what happens in the sequel is they're quickly dis- dispatched at the end of Texas. And to me, where it ties into the set, and I think like Neil Marshall purposely has Sarah where she looks like Sally she at does. the end. The She's blonde, blonde hair, totally soaked in blood, the wild eyes at the end. In the American version of this movie, Sarah um, sees Juno next to her mm-hmm. in the car and just screams. And then it cuts to her eyes and it, credits run the image that what's really haunting is like the credits are over like the overlaid over the snapshot the girls took of one another right mm-hmm. before they went and it's so heartbreaking i know yeah, yeah um, you're like oh shit to me like and i think marshall has even said like part of the reason why he has that darker ending in there is like this is he did not see sarah is like coming back from this sort of trauma like it was just a bridge too far that like whether or not she was physically in those caves or she escaped and drove off, a part of her would remain there forever. And I have always read the end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre the same way. Like Sally was always like, there are some things that maybe we don't come back from. And sure you could, I mean, I I think that that is definitely what those directors intended Mm -hmm. It's just a reading that I've never been a fan of. And I, I think the more subversive mm-hmm. read of that is that like, no, mm-hmm. I, I am able to survive mm-hmm. that. Fuck you. Yeah. You know, um, and I, 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 I obviously like if these actual events happened to me, I don't think I would right. but it'd be OK. Yeah. But, you know, like I, 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 I don't I, and I think maybe I don't want to like lump this into like the male gaze versus like a feminist reading of something. But like I I. I much prefer, and you know, a, a preferred ending to me is the final girl that gets away yeah. and picks up and moves on with her life. To me, like I rewatching this movie last night, like for the first time, the British the ending that wasn't the American ending was the happier ending because I read that as like after watching Sarah go through everything, I have no doubt that she wanted to she could survive in those caves Mm -hmm. that she wasn't going to i had it in my head for some reason that like at the end of the movie there are crawlers that are surrounding her Mm. Uh, yeah and that's not and that's not how it plays out really like it just pulls back to like you see how large this cave is and where she's nowhere near any exit if there even is one Mm -hmm. and the first time i read this ending is like kind of like how you would read it Lara is like okay Sarah might not be out of that cave but she's actually going to be her best self in, in these the cave. caves and I know <laughs> I'm gonna live really my funny. best cave life you know? <laughs> yeah like, Instagram shots of like, me in the cave yeah just yeah. keep caving <laughs> I just had, keep caving <laughs> I had like zero doubts that she would find a way to like thrive in those circumstances 
which sure. is weird yeah in, in the actual like her getting out and um driving off and then seeing her dead friend in the passenger seat who she essentially murders i yeah. mean eventually she yeah. essentially uses juno as kind of like bait in order yeah. to kind of buy herself um, time to get out she's the decoy um, all the, the the crawlers like, jump on her and that yeah. is something that she would never escape from yeah and that's why i love the ending the I guess the American ending because I think like I know that that is criticized as a jump scare but to me that shows like the guilt that she would carry for that action for the rest of her life right. and one of the things that's so striking to me in the ending um, here is when she's running through the forest and she's crying and I think to me that sa that says to me that she is out but she's still in she's always mm -hmm. going to have these emotions and she's always like if a, a truck passes her she's always going to be scared by it right. um, and I think I don't need to see her stay in the cave to have that that feeling mm -hmm. of like she's she's going to keep living with this. And I don't know if that's just because the way I connect to her, because what I see is if she stayed in the cave forever, that is almost like the fear that I have when I'm confronting some of my trauma is that if I go down into that cave, I'm never going to get out. So I, I mm -hmm. don't like and it's one of those things where it might be a better ending, but I don't like it as much because I, you know, I just like, it's like the mist. I think about the mist, the end, the movie yeah. ending of the mist is probably better than the book ending of the mist, but I don't like it because it makes me feel really bad. Um, it's so It's one of the more brutal endings really that is. I've ever seen yeah. too, you know? Right. Uh, and I read, and again, like I, I just kind of read it. It's like, and I see what you're saying. Like, well, she can never get out. I kind of read it as like, this is her being able to like adapt to her trauma mm, and it mm. no longer controls her. Like she is now in control of it. Um, mm. and yeah, she becomes queen of the chuds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's an Which, interesting way to look at it. No, there are worse things to be than queen of the well, chuds. Well, that's true. It could be queen of the chodes. So mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. that's off that's... color. Well, and that's interesting. And I think when we're looking at this, it, we're like talking about how we emotionally connect to it. It's not that there's really yeah. a better or worse ending. It's just the one yeah. that we prefer or the one that resonates with us better. And I think it's okay yeah. for us to all like kind of disagree on this and to interpret mm -hmm. it differently. You know, it's like we're meeting yeah. the movie where we are, I guess, to, to try mm -hmm. to poorly and paraphrase something that you've said. <laughs> there's another article I pulled in from really quickly, mm -hmm. quickly. It's called The Descent in the Psychology of Female Trauma. It was by uh, Eva Phillips. I saw that and, she, and I was like, yes, you know, this article is for yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, it, what it, a title. It, <laughs> it, it discussed, I mean, it did actually discuss a bit that opening sequence mm -hmm. with Beth and Juno, but also like that the kind of violence that the cave dwellers are inflicting, it's like emblematic of like the physical trauma that men often inflict on women. And the fact that like Sarah emerges alone at the end is a reminder that like women often suffer alone with their trauma, that they're not believed mm -hmm. or their traumas are rationalized by others, which I haven't seen the descent to, but I've read the synopsis yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, and it's essentially, that's what happens. Like Sarah is in the hospital. The police don't believe her story and they make her go back into the caves, mm -hmm. which I don't think is a thing that you would do. 
law yeah, enforcement. Yeah, you seem to be lying, and we because I read the synopsis too. I also just didn't really want to watch yeah. it because it sounded right. lame. But I, uh, they said that like she they found a bit of Juno's blood on her clothes, and are like, "You must mm-hmm. have killed her." Okay, suspect. Let's take you back right. to the place where this happened. Like, mm-hmm. That's not the bad way everything... to do exposure therapy. I would say. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> What's weird about that is like Neil Marshall, although he didn't direct it, he executive produced it. And he had final script approval. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's just really weird that, like, with the intention of his movie, that that is the direction. Now, maybe there were, like, a number of, like, here is, like, the script treatment, and here's a check with a number of zeros. Yeah. At the end yeah. Of it. I was going to say, mm-hmm. it sounds like he maybe just wanted to make some money right. off of the success of his first right. movie, which I don't hold, I don't Not totally either. hold against right. him. You know, <laughs> yeah. or it, I mean, if somebody, I want to make some money right. through my, my art, quote unquote art, you know, <laughs> or it could have been terrible. Please. And this was the closest he could get to, like, getting it made, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I it's I, I feel like this is a movie that really stands alone, and, yeah. and a, yeah. any attempt at a sequel is not going to be a, a good. Yeah, good I agree. Faith, yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. So let's talk about. Um. Do we see any other mental health topics in this movie? We're not going to go into detail. Um. But we just don't want to let things go by. I know we've already mentioned claustrophobia, and Mike, you said something that was like claustrophobia, but I can't remember the word. Yeah, I'm going to absolutely butcher this. (laughs) So uh, I think it's claytophobia, where it is not so much C-L-E-I. Oh, my God. Can you use it in a sentence? Can you you use it in a sentence? I think it's pronounced claytophobia, right? Claythrophobia? Is that Possibly. I don't fucking know. The fear of being trapped. Mm, Yeah. Okay. So it's less about, like, the size of an... it's like not doesn't matter how big the area is. It's just the fact that you can't escape it. It's how yeah, you like use being it. on a plane. Sorry. It's really it's off the side. It's how you <laughs> it's use. How you use. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. And you know, uh, oh, you know, it's good. A, it's, it's good. It's, we're not going to go down this road. I'm no. not gonna, you know. <laughs> yeah, just keep trying to extend this metaphor. Extend this metaphor. <laughs> Well, and so on that note, we also see grief in this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> As in good grief. Right, right. Good, yeah. Good golly. Yeah. yeah, yeah but there is yeah, a lot of trauma in this movie that is um and we're we're gonna talk about both of these things another time, I think. But And that actually just made me think of another movie to add to my list that we see this in. So we'll get ah, to that in nice. a second. But um and so let's talk just for a minute about Juno because I had narcissism for Juno, and I think that's just because I see narcissism everywhere because it's like mm-hmm. when you have a blue car, you see blue cars, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I went to a man, man with a hammer. Um but I I, well, I was going to say, and I see your your notes here, Mike, and I'm, I'm interested in this because I, I don't know if I want to necessarily put a label on her personality, but I do think she has a personality disorder. Mm-hmm. She is an asshole. <laughs> she lacks empathy. Um, she is very self-absorbed. I don't know if you want to call that narcissism. I don't, you know, but I, I'm curious to see what you, you said here, Mike. So why don't you talk about that? Um, yeah, I thought like that you saw signs of mania there. Mm-hmm. The fact that like, she was a risk taker that would endanger others needlessly. Um, You know, the idea of like, everyone has agreed to a well-scouted trip, like very much like the Blair Witch Project. It's a (laughs) well-scouted trip. Um, And she decides without informing anyone else, like we're going to do this instead, Mm -hmm. that she overestimates and overextends her own abilities. um, That she 
is engaging in behavior that's risky and puts herself and others at peril. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like, this is a little thing, but, like, sometimes when you're having, like, a manic episode, like, you can have, like, no sleep and still get a ton done. And you mm-hmm. see that, like, you know, she, like, binge drinks a bunch of vodka until 2 in the morning, and then it, like, 5 a.m. is up for a jog mm, super yeah. limber like nothing happened it's like right we're on the road by six mm-hmm. um, yeah that gave me a headache just watching yeah. that <laughs> that yeah, is yeah. people like that are the fucking worst, <laughs> I just, so. yeah yeah whether or not it's mania or they're just a fucking yeah. superhuman piece of shit that i resent right. um mm-hmm. yeah either way dislike strong dislike and i think like it's important to know her the friends see through june yeah yeah um it's not something that she's able to hide from him. Like she's called out multiple times yes, for yes. being an asshole. Like there's and when she tries to justify to Sarah why she's chosen this cave and how they're gonna name it. Mm. And she's like, you know, I thought you could we could you name it for you. She's like, No, you thought you'd probably name it for yourself. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think if you look at Holly, because a lot of that you could say about Holly, but I think the difference between Juno and Holly is Juno makes these decisions for other people. Mm-hmm. And it would be yes. like How- Holly diving down the cave and breaking her leg versus Holly like throwing Sarah down the cave to right. explore. Exactly. Yeah, Holly just seems like like a genuinely adventurous like go getter. Yeah. Whereas like you know, it feels weird. It feel that's why I say like there's some element of personality disorder there mm-hmm. because it's like she's like inflicting this on other people. Yeah. And the fact that she even had an affair with with her her good friend's husband is is really offensive on its mm-hmm. own. You know, it's just there's a, a pattern of behavior here that feels maladaptive and yeah, bizarre, like manipulative know? to uh, a certain extent. Yes, yeah. yeah, and very mm-hmm. like putting this facade on. Like you might be able to make an argument that she has like psychopathy or something although I don't know a ton about that but um because that brings to mind like American Psycho of like this person I am this adventurer and I like I have to be the best and I think that's where the narcissism comes in for me but yeah she's definitely a a flawed but very fascinating character yeah you like I mean she's impossible to she's very magnetic to watch Mm -hmm. the performance from that actress whose name I don't have I think it's Natalie Mendoza uh, I believe yes I I think Mm -hmm. you're correct I thought it was Natalie something and um she she's she's just very compelling to watch mm-hmm. a very unusual character I, I i would like to see more just a show about the adventures of juno yeah you know? <laughs> like she's a she's a she's a good she's a character you love to hate. yes exactly mm-hmm. yeah but it not in a way that feels like a caricature or like a typical exactly. female bitch you know yeah she, again in the in the shitty version of this movie she would like be a bit like a bimbo who's like i took your man right like, you know? yeah she's just <laughs> like mean like, girl yeah. you know yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. And I like she's very com- complicated. Yes, which I love. Yeah, I mean, there is that Juno knows what she's done is wrong. Yes, I think like it's you know I think that yeah, that becomes totally. very clear. Like that she knows element. that she's in the wrong, and you know we've all done things that like we know are wrong or are bad for us that for whatever reason we just we do them mm-hmm. yeah it, it's interesting it's like that shame and that, i think maybe that's where the facade comes from is she knows she's an asshole she knows she's doing these terrible things but she can't let anybody else know and she's always got to have her story that like takes the pressure off or like oh in the long run just trust me it'll be fine like i did this for you you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about what other movies we see this kind of uh, representation of PTSD in. Um, again, we're not going to go into detail about these movies, but if you enjoy, if you like The Descent, you'll love this. 
Um, the two that come to mind for me are Gerald's Game and Deliverance. And I think um, Deliverance was a big inspiration for this movie. Um, mm-hmm. I have a lot of complicated thoughts about Deliverance, and I think that might be fodder for another episode. Um, H- highly unpleasant movie. Yes, to watch, it is. But, yeah. but it's just well, I'll I'll save my thoughts on that. But um, there is a lot of like that survival quality and survival when there's another element also. Um, and like a group a group of friends going into fish out of water kind of territory, right? On f- finding something they don't like. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and when I think about Gerald's game, the the connection I see there is really having to. Con- confront your trauma in order to survive a situation yes and that just and we did an episode on we that did. Um, for losers club and I, I think I think that's where we I first think it connected is. Jen. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was yeah yeah that's one yes. of my favorite books and one of my it's up there for movies for me too so. Flanagan did a great job with that adaptation really I did. think it's one of the better king adaptations that I've ever I seen so I really like it a lot I do yeah. too yeah so I mentioned Texas Chainsaw Massacre I think that that's like the most, because I just, the way I view these endings, it's the most one-to-one kind of apt comparison there. Um, Some other interesting ones, just as we're sitting here talking, one is a documentary called My Amityville Horror. Mm. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it yet. It's it's pretty great. It's basically about one of the sons, uh, stepsons of George Lutz, who lived Mm. through the whole Amityville experience. Basically all the trauma that he's been exposed to because of his George Lutz being a complete asshole. Um, It's a really haunting documentary. I would say like on the Mike Flanagan kick, like the haunting of Hill house, you see a lot of of trauma that comes back up through the years. mm -hmm. Truly a great show. I mean, so scary, so Mm -hmm. uh, emotional. So it's just awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Matt, Feeney, uh, Matt Serafini. He's an author, um, like a Massachusetts-based author. He has a book, I think it's called Feral, that deals with that. Mm-hmm. And it's really good. It's a really good like slasher book that's about a woman who survives like this kind of event. And um, are they back or not back? Like that type of deal. Like, that might be one worth reading. Hmm. Well, and hey, speaking cool. of books, um, if you're into these creepy crawlies, read Off Season by Jack Ketchum. Mm-hmm. Although, fair warning, that is an upsetting mm-hmm. book. <laughs> Jack Ketchum was an, he was a very upsetting writer. Yes, he was. Well, I'll have to put that on my list though, because that sounds. I've been looking for some um, horror novels. Oh yeah. So because mm-hmm. I, I I love a good horror novel and it's been a while, so <laughs> I will put that on my list. Yeah. Jack Ketchum. Jack Ketchum. Yeah, yeah, he's outlaw horror is how I've heard him described. So. Yeah. It's a little too much the, um, for me. <laughs> the book, the woman. Uh, not the book, the movie, the woman by Lucky McKee is based on the characters from off season. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's so, and then I would say his best book is the lost, mm. which is another, like that was adapted into like a really like fucked up and great movie too. I've so. heard the girl next door is really good too. Although I've not read that it. is the most disturbing book I've ever read. Really? And then you realize it's based on a true mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. that is very, plays very close. Like the novel is basically that, event with the names changed yeah yep. it's That's it's crazy upsetting. don't now i'm so it, intrigued i have <laughs> yeah. to go I, i'm gonna immediately go googling all of this uh so the movie that just occurred to me while we were talking that i didn't write down but i was like how did i not think of this was the Duke. Mm. um I because i mean similarly she loses her husband in a car accident and it's kind of the impetus for the catalyst for all the action of the mm-hmm. film and um 
the unreliable narrator dealing with that trauma coming back to possibly kill or not kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, I will save any further thoughts because like, we have to. Do oh, yes, absolutely. On that. Oh, yeah. And Mike, I and think that's kind of... the first time you and I connected because I think I responded to yeah. some tweet about the Babadook like a year or so ago. Uh, probably. Full, full circle. <laughs> it here, really guys. is. Um, yeah. And then the the two superficial movies, Mm -hmm. I'll just quickly say, because they're more um, about like getting trapped Mm -hmm. in like a subterranean type places are two found footage movies that I really like, uh, Grave Encounters and As Above, So Those are two really great movies. Mm-hmm. There's also the cave, which is like the American version mm-hmm. of Descent, mm-hmm. which might have come out right before it. I don't recommend it really? to anyone. Um, there was a movie in Britain that caused trauma in children. Mm. Um, it was Tell a, me more. It was a made-for-television movie called Ghost Watch. Mm. Oh, I've been trying to track this down because it was yeah. on Shutter, and then they took it off, and yeah. since then I have not been able to find it. But it's, I'm dying to see it because it's really it, good. Yeah. So, it's it's a notorious one that I yeah. think they th- they thought they played it like it was a real news broadcast yeah, it was, and it, and it was not um, so everybody got freaked the fuck out like a yeah. war of the worlds kind of thing. Yep, because yeah. it was an, they used the actual broadcasters from the BBC. So if you were tuning in to your nightly news on the BBC, <laughs> that is messed up. They really did this is. and it was like based on the Edenfield. I think the Edenfield mm-hmm. haunting. Oh, the and and Enfield poltergeist. It's one of my favorite yeah. supernatural um, cases. Last podcast has an amazing yeah. series on the Enfield haunting Ooh. that I highly recommend. Yeah. So it was based on that and basically it played out like a found footage movie except that like you thought you were watching like you said Laura, you know, Laura of the Worlds. Um mm-hmm. and I guess like a number of kids that watched that in Britain got really fucked up by it. So Yeah, didn't like somebody kill themselves while they were watching oh, or some wow. shit like that. I don't know if that's apocryphal, but yeah. I feel like that's what I remember hearing. So of course as soon as I heard that I'm like, I got to see this movie. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's but, um, yeah. highly recommended. Like it is really creepy. Wow. Yeah, I definitely recommend it. Shall we move into Yes. What do we call it now? Our uplifting Our... moment. No, I'm definitely playing that over the harp. That's awesome. Um, Yeah, so we want to, because we've talked about some heavy stuff in this episode, um, some deep, dark, scary things. Um, And so we want to leave you kind of feeling a little lighter. Um, So let's talk about our grounding and coping techniques and our self-care. And we're just going to go around and just share anything that we want to share. Um, Mike, would you like to start? Yeah, we've been spelunking. It's been really <gasps> kind of nice. To, no, no, Mike, no. no. Not been, not been doing Have you learned no, nothing? It is, <laughs> yes, it is. It is spooky season, so we're doing. Yes. Like, I'm doing. I'm doing things to get me in the Halloween mood. Like I've been stitching together all these old, like thirty second TV horror movie commercials to like, oh, just like play in the background. Um, Send them to me, and you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I put together this list of like for October like all these themes that we can like for our daily watch like instead of picking a movie I'll pick a theme and then have people suggest like here's a found footage movie to watch here's a ghost story here's a Frankenstein so I've been like just getting in the mood for that and the big thing is like my daughter really loves doing crafts um I am terrible at them but we're gonna try to make some like really cool like DIY crafts um this Halloween and there's a channel on YouTube I think it's called like um, the Wicked Wicked Builders. Or, yeah, mm-hmm. here it is. Wicked Makers. And it's like this husband Wicked and makers. wife team. And they make like these like really cool looking but not super complicated 
Halloween decorations. Mm. So we're going to make like this. Putting this in my notes. (laughs) It's like super relaxing. So we're going to watch, like we're going to make like a bubbling witch's cauldron um, with it's like hangs on this kind of like tripod structure. Um, We're going to make like a scarecrow with like old fence posts and a plastic jack-o'-lantern that you distress to make it look creepier. Um, And then these like hanging lanterns. So we have like a lot of the stuff that we need for it. And we're going to take the um, air hockey table that hasn't been used in two years and turn it into like a craft space. So that should be kind of fun. So that's kind of like, and I'm going to be really honest, like I'm saying this is self-care, planning for it is self-care. Doing these, you're going to hear me (laughs) fucking curse a lot because I'm so not crafty. Mm. I am the same way. I get very ambitious with those kind of things. And then as soon as I actually put my hands on mm-hmm. the objects, it is it is a shit show. Yeah. And I'm swearing and it's like, just, it's not good. Yeah. But I do, I do like the idea of it. I do too. <laughs> and I love crafts. But yeah, I got very ambitious with my first sewing machine project and have not mm-hmm. touched my sewing machine since because yeah. it was so, stressed me out so much. But that sounds amazing. I love crafting. Um Especially oh. Halloween crafting. That's yes. got to be my, my favorite thing. And mm-hmm. now that I live alone, you know, uh, I shouldn't say that because now the killers will come and get me. Here's my paranoia. <laughs> better not. I, I don't, I'll you know, better. I don't have a family. So yes, thank you. <laughs> but I've got, we've got the, the team of, of powerful women yes. here. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I just don't have any excuse to do things like that, but I can I should just do them anyway, yeah. you know, because yeah. like there's no point in waiting for some people uh, to arrive. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I have, I have been again, struggling with self-care. Um, the changing seasons for me is always a little difficult and it's been like cold and misty in Chicago. And um, I don't know, I've just been feeling really down about everything, but um, you know, here and there, like today, I just decided to do some yard work, even though I, I rent and our property managers do not take care of the property at all. So it's like all these really cute houses and then our like derelict looking property, mm-hmm. you know? And so I asked my neighbor to borrow his rake and I, um, raked like three bags worth of leaves and cleaned up all the little twigs and things. It still looks kind of crappy because it's all like weeds mm-hmm. and they, and I don't have a lawnmower, but, um, mm-hmm. I felt like I did something today and I, uh, I made myself, even though, um, I, I wasn't able to make any short films this year because of the pandemic, but I had this script that I had sitting around. So I today was the last day to submit to this one festival that I, I was in a couple of years ago that I really um, love the people who organize it. So I dust, I took that screenplay out, I cleaned it up a little bit, and I made myself submit it to their screenplay nice. um, portion of their festival. Even I, I'm not even submitting to any other festivals. I'm just like, at least I had, I submitted something. Uh, it's the Nightmares Film Festival out of Columbus, Ohio, by far one of the best organized and run um, horror festivals. It's worth like buying a ticket to their virtual offering this year, just so you can, because they do like a really great selection of shorts and, mm-hmm. and, and feature films. Um and just delightful people. Uh, so I did that, and that's something. I checked something off my that's list. That's so, so exciting. Yeah. Yay. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. I appreciate really it. Cool. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Um, yeah, this is, has been a hard week for me, too. And I think a lot of things are just kind of converging. And um, 
like depression is kind of starting to creep in. I also think I'm getting to that point that a lot of us have already gotten to of like every day is fucking the same. And I'm just really ready to um, every day not be the exact same as it was before. Um, (laughs) Yes. But one of the biggest self cares that I've had is watching Cobra Kai. Um, And I know the Mm. three of us have talked about this, but I just, I loved that show so much. It was so much better than I thought. I like speaking of flawed and complicated characters that are not one note. I think that show does a really good job of like making um, motivations clear so that you Mm -hmm. kind of can empathize with even people who are doing terrible things. And the, the thing that I think I took from it the most right now is because I've had kind of a big life change that I've talked a little bit about, but it was just, um, this feeling of there will always be somebody who is louder and bigger and meaner and stronger and trying to be bigger and meaner and stronger than that person doesn't work. Like trying to play that game is not Mm -hmm. what I need to do. And I just was looking at like the Maya, (laughs) the Miyagi do like just find your focus. And that's kind of what I've been trying to do is just focus on what I know to be true and just being patient and just kind of letting things play out without trying to like force this control. And so that has been um, really helpful for me. Um, and it's just fun. Like it was a fun show to kind of escape into also. You know? yeah. I just, I just binged it because you guys were talking about it and I always liked the Karate Kid movies mm-hmm. and the, it's such a fun show and the fight, fight uh, choreography is oh awesome. My gosh. It's, I love, I love it so the much. The final <laughs> episode fight is amazing. Oh, it's, I, was like, I haven't, it's, yeah. It's so silly, but it's so fun but to watch. God, I had to like get up because I was so tense while I was watching it. I was like walking around my I room. Know. I was like, oh, I was like, oh, oh my God. Yeah. I, I have like, we just started season two and I've been oh. trying to like savor the episodes mm. a little bit. So like, I'm not, you know, I know that there's like, and it was funny. It's like to me, like, I don't think that Daniel is like the bad guy mm. in the way that like a traditional bad guy in a television show is, mm. but there's definitely like this classism. Uh-huh. That's oh, that's here, 100% you know? a thing. Yeah. yeah. And that like there's this like guy it's who's this... part of the 1% mm-hmm. who has everything that he could possibly want in life. Mm-hmm. Life. I think his <laughs> and, wife. And wife. His yeah, wife... his his wife is one of the more unpleasant characters and I don't I don't I I have a slight criticism of casting the wife as kind of the nag, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. um but I still the character is I, she pisses yeah. me off, but um yeah. But, like, he's definitely, like, to me, like, he's just this idea that, like, he's got everything he could want, and he's still going out of his way to make this person who, for a brief moment in time in his high school years, made his life miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, because the way I remember the end of The Karate Kid is, like, Johnny actually congratulates Daniel. Yeah. And says, like, hey, man, you're not so bad. And then the next movie starts with, like, you see why Johnny is kind of like how he is. Mm. So they'll kind of hold that over him. Yeah. Like, Hey, I have an idea. Like maybe instead of like fixing his car, if you see, he's like doing this dojo, like maybe invest in it with mm-hmm. him. Like maybe do yeah. that. Yeah. Maybe so, go in and say like, we together, we can make this better than what mm-hmm. Cobra Kai was when I was a kid. Like if, if you let me have some influence here, we could actually come to a, a compromise yeah. about how we teach these kids. And like, yeah, instead he, he has like this midlife crisis over it. And yeah. it's, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and I, and it's like, I, I like, like Jen said, like, I like that show, <laughs> like, cause it lets you see all these different perspectives yeah. and why they're behaving the way they are. Yeah. And it's, it's a little cheesy, but it's in a, in a fun way. And yeah. I really enjoy yeah. It, yeah. I love Hawk. 
Like I absolutely <laughs> well, love Hoth. If you haven't finished the second season yet, just wait till you see how they they bring that character mm. around. So yeah. yeah. Oh man, because I, I don't know. Like, and I guess the reason why is like I don't have like I didn't have like a cleft lip, but like I was definitely a picked on kid. Mm-hmm. Oh, same. <laughs> and I got like I did wrestling in high school specifically because I got tired of getting like kind of like bullied around. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then like once I did that, no one really bullied me anymore. Um, I, I specifically it, got into punk rock, cut all my hair off, yeah. and started dyeing my hair crazy colors. And so yeah. I definitely relate to Hawk. <laughs> yeah, as like a someone who got into like punk rock at age seventeen and still like kind of lives by those values in his forties um same (laughs) you know like definitely like could empathize you know empathize with that character a hell of a lot yeah um so yeah it is i'm interested like we need to i want to revisit this conversation after you finish season two because Mm -hmm. i just love the way that they go into like they they dive into all of these things that we're talking about you know what is the name of the friend who like doesn't really like the karate and is like kind of like nebbish. Oh, oh um, Dimitri? It's, um, it's it's Dimitri. 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 That's so what it is. Like, he, I really relate to. Dimitri. I do that's too. That's my <laughs> wife's. That's my wife's favorite character on the show, mm. and I really can't stand him. Oh, I think oh, you'll wow. like him better okay. in season two. I think. Yeah, they get way more into okay. him, and I mean, but he was definitely like me growing up. Like mm-hmm. I was the one that was always like, um, actually, <laughs> yeah. you know. Right. But oh, it's so good. We may need to have a yeah. Patreon. Bonus. And there is a season three. There is a season three yeah. coming yeah. out next year. So. God, I, I hope that it didn't get delayed because of all this because I, I need it right now. I need yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I also have an age inappropriate crush on um, Johnny's son, too, because he's pretty. Oh, cute. well, he's he's extremely handsome. That's the like, most yeah, dimples I... I've ever seen on a face. <laughs> like, oh my God. Yes. He has a weird, plasticky face. He looks like Jonathan Brandis back in like yeah. Ladybug's time. I think that's why I like yeah. him. <laughs> His mom is. Something also, else. yes, very attractive. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and all you're gonna and do I, is fire think... dessert. The best line of the thing is like, yeah. Oh. Right. And I think Johnny is attractive. I do so too. We, we're, we're, all of us have to legally be attracted to That's someone true. in this show. Yeah. So. <laughs> Ralph Macchio, though, like he has a weird young boy's face and an old man's body. He does. Yeah, he's really got the Ma- Matthew Broderick thing happening yeah. where he he looked like a baby and then you keep looking like a baby and then you just look like an old baby yeah. and then it's kind of weird. Yeah. And old babies would be gross. So. <laughs> <laughs> So that is going to, I think, wrap up our conversation on The Descent and Cobra Kai, although I would love (laughs) to talk more about Cobra Kai. Um, Okay, so moving us into our homework, um, and this is a question that we're going to ask, and you don't have to. We're not going to grade you on it. Um, But if you want to, like, join the conversation, um, you can write your answers to our homework questions in our Facebook group, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Um, So our homework (laughs) question for this episode, um, and Laura, you had a really good one. Yeah, um, just based on our conversation, like, what is the, like, physical activity or adventurous activity that you absolutely will not do and why? For me, it's splunking because, hell, no, (laughs) this movie is why you will go down there and you will either get trapped in a hole or cave chuds will eat you. (laughs) Either way, 
no thanks. Mm-hmm. So what is it that you, whether it's whitewater rafting, skydiving, what is the thing that you would just absolutely never do? And I guess conversely, like what do you, what are you into yeah. in terms of all that shit, if, if anything? Um, so yeah, I'd love to hear about that. Tweet, tweet at us, email your tweets to us. <laughs> yes, um, post them us too. Know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. you can also tell us what your self-care is or coping mechanisms. Um, we'd like, or any thoughts you have about this episode. Um, I'll talk more about this in a minute, but we've got, I've been posting questions of the day in our Facebook group and and you so you can post your answers to that question in the psychoanalysis podcast support group is our Facebook group. And then we have a listener supported um, Facebook group called the psychoanalysis podcast family. Um, and so both of those are private and moderated. So those um, we're hoping could be a safe place for us to talk about some of the stuff that we've talked about in this episode. Um and so be on the lookout for those questions or just tell us what you think, you know, email us like Laura just said, or post on socials. Um, let's, before we tell you where you can do that, um, what are we watching next guys? We're continuing our PTSD theme. Um, but we are picking some new movies and we're going to kind of try and experiment with this that I'm really excited about. Yeah. We're watching uh all the screams. we are yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Scr- screams one two and three i think specifically is what we're going to cover yeah um, which may and, and focusing on sydney's arc as a character and these uh, eventually complex ptsd that she must <laughs> indeed develop right. as a result right. of her experience after all these four movies that she has um experienced all this trauma yeah so we're going to be focusing on sydney's arc in scream one two and three yeah, and I think I think it'll be interesting. We haven't tried anything like this we before, um, so we're real, we're going to try to streamline it as best we mm. can. And I, I do I'm really excited though because I think it'll be a unique I am too. conversation. Yeah. yeah, I'm excited because outside of A Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream is my favorite series. Yeah, that's um, my favorite too. I think Sydney is such an awesome character. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they kill her in part five. So help me God, I will just go fucking visit. I think that I will join <laughs> that you. Be the final straw. Well, yeah, yeah <laughs> I am not um, wanting to see that at all. Yeah, yeah, I love Sydney. She's my favorite final girl, and I'm so excited to talk about this. Um, and we have because I have teased this a little bit on some other shows. I wanted to mention we're also going to be talking about. H2O and um, Halloween 2018 and where we see PTSD in that but we are going to be talking about it as part of Salem Horror Fest so we're really excited about that it's going to look a little bit different than what we thought it was going to but we just wanted to let you know so um, stay tuned for more information about that Um, and also that's the next movie we're talking about PTSD in but we have another episode that's coming out between then that I am so excited about um we're starting a new thing. Um, and I think part of why I wanted to do this, um, and I don't want to speak for you two, but like we're talking about some heavy things in this episode. And I kind of want to talk about horror in more of a fun way. So we are going to be starting um, comfort horror minis is what we're talking about. It's not going to be a full episode. I think we're shooting for around 45 minutes or so um, where we just talk about like our comfort horror movies and like why we love them. And we're mm-hmm. going to have also our first guest on that episode. Michael Rothman from um, the Losers Club and Halloweenies is going to join us and he's going to be talking about the original Halloween. So I am so so excited about this 
Yeah, me too. And I think this is kind of kicking off this right for Halloween mm-hmm. season. And we're going to be doing a few special Halloween minisodes that are going to be so, just some fun candy mm-hmm. corn yes. to mix into the big bag of trauma that we keep <laughs> dishing out to you. Yeah, so. literally this month. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So next Thursday, we'll have our first comfort horror mini Halloween. And then the week after that is when we're going to talk about our Sydney arc. So you've got a couple extra weeks to watch all three of those movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yes. Although it's yes. always a pleasure. We'll pull up the so. blanket and the popcorn yeah yeah, right. yeah. have yourself some fun right. <laughs> um so we are a member of the consequence podcast network um you can find other shows there um like the losers club halloweenies horror virgin this must be the gig cal meredith with the assembly ghost echoes of the fifth dimension lots of other shows um that you can check out and also check out their website because there's lots of um really cool writing about pop culture and music and a lot of stuff on horror, especially in uh, spooky season. Um, Mike, where can we find you? So you can find me over on Twitter at Mike underscore Snoonian. You can also listen to my other show, The Pod and the Pendulum, which is a weekly podcast that typically covers horror movie franchises. Um, As of this episode dropping, depending on where we go we are either just wrapping up a nightmare on elm street or we are taking a brief break from covering it because in october we are going to like do what we call like our first ever theme month mm. um we i think we kind of like need a little bit of a break from doing franchises mm. all the time so we are looking at different like movies set in or around Halloween or capture that Halloween feeling. So things like, I think we're looking at like the WNUF Halloween special, Hmm. which is a really fun kind of found footage movie done in the form of like an old, like UHF TV broadcast um, from things like that. You, we were, so we're looking at that, things like trick or treat Mm. um, and some others. We may not also be covering. Yeah. (laughs) So, you One know, of my favorites. It's, it's we're definitely looking forward to that. Um, I have a thing for October that I've like posted in some places where like I want your suggestions on what to watch. So like we have like 31 um, different subgenres throughout the month. Like days like name your uh you know like what's your price? Like tell me a Vincent Price movie I should oh, watch cool. that day. Um, so yeah, what's your price? That's over <laughs> at Pod and Pendulum, we have a lot of ge- uh, great guests lined up um yeah i mean that's that show is my baby like that is like you know so um definitely give us a listen over there you definitely hear a different side of me um where a more sensual Ooh, side of my like <laughs> well laura where can we find you as always, I am on Twitter at underalls, like the stuff you wear under your pants, <laughs> and on Instagram at instaglum, like Instagram, but super, super sad. Uh, and I'm sometimes on the Losers Club uh, at Halloweenies as well. And that's just about it for, for 2020. Nice. <laughs> um, you can find me on socials at Jen Ferratu with two N's. Um, and I am uh, one of the rotating losers on the Losers Club. Um, so, yeah, you can find me there and um, find me on socials. And I'm just kind of around. I'm everywhere and nowhere all at once. So. <laughs> um, 
you see her in the shadows. Yes. You see her in your oh. dreams. It's Jen. <laughs> it's Jen. Truly outrageous. Um, so thank you so much for joining us for The Descent today. I think that's, um, I, I'm really happy with how this episode turned out. I think it was really fun to talk about this movie and I just love it so much. So, yeah, one of my favorites. Um, yeah, so guys, we're gonna um, we're gonna see ourselves out now. Um, so, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us for the descent today. Um, I'm Jen. I'm Lara. And I'm Mike. <laughs> and guys, we came here to t- talk. <laughs> we did come here to fuck. <laughs> We've come here to fuck, <laughs> and we did. And we're all out of fuck. We're all out of fucking go. Yeah, um, we came here to take care of. <sighs> We came here to chew bubblegum and take care of ourselves. I may just leave this all in. And we're yeah, all, and we all, all out of bubblegum. Bubblegum. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Good night. Consequence Podcast Network.